Well, I had to do that thing nobody wants to do. Tell mom I can't come home for the holidays. With COVID-19 spreading fast, I don't want to put my favorite people at risk. So I thanked her for the invite, told her how much I wish I could come, and that I hope she can understand. Of course, it helped that I offered an alternative. She's finally going to teach me her apple pie recipe on video chat. We'll make up for the missed party when we can. Learn more at coronavirus.wa.gov gatherings. Recorded live. Like Power, BB48, Mahu Chuck. Welcome to Pin on the Ground Radio. This is your brother Born. Getting it in, think tank Thursday. We're going to do it up nice for the family. Um, you know what it is, it's think tank Thursday, so we're going to start off with the, uh, with the usual, with the with the um, blessings to the ancestors that praise now, Turner, glory to Garvey, long live the spirit of Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad, praise Harriet Tubman, glory to Ida B. Wells, long live the spirit of Sister Fanny Lou Hamer. Like, Paul, what it do out there tonight, family? You know, we're going to get it in nice. We're going to get it in real nice. Had this thing working well for the family. Um, going on here, my. Federal assistant, 
say, place the scare on folks, you know, that they were going to sign into, uh, sign the budget. So as of October 1st, people were not, were, uh, <coughs> as of September 29th, Excuse me, hold on, family. <coughs> Man, I ain't something in my throat. Choked up a little bit. But, um, as I said, they got it as of September. As September 29th, they had not passed the budget. So when you don't pass the budget, what goes on, if you don't pass the, uh, uh, the budget's not passed, then a lot of the uh, programs that the federal government um, covers was, were not going to be, uh, you know, covered. And the main, the main ones that they do cover are the, uh, what we would call the welfare system, um, Social Security, uh, a lot of people are, are – rely upon food stamps and also uh, other things of this nature. And these things <coughs> and these things though uh have have a, a detriment, you know, these things would be a detriment to the uh, community if they weren't passed out. Because what would happen would be, you know, it'd be a lot of fighting. A lot of people would be very angry, very by the fact that the government was not taking care of him any longer. I'm, I'm of the uh, notion that the government has no reason to take care of uh, people any longer. A lot of, a lot of us Africans, uh, a lot of Africans who have uh, been adversely affected by racism, white supremacy, and now are relying upon some of these systems have... Uh, have become uh, have become and let me see I, I, don't, I don't know how to say it. they become just okay with the system you understand me they become um, so dependent upon the system as though they look at the system as though the system owes them as though as though they are owed to be taken care of and I understand the call for reparations. I understand that call for reparations and the wanting of reparations by the family. This is something that I think is uh, is something that we deserve, and we are owed. We are owed, you know, money. We are owed these things. Excuse me. But if you're owed something, just because you're owed something does not mean that you will receive it. You understand just because I owe you something does not mean that I'm going to be willing to part with uh, resources to make you whole because we have to realize that we were placed into a situation that we were brought here as prisoners of war. And so when you're brought as a prisoner and property, no one who owns property ever turns around and says, you know what, I think I owe this property for me for owning it. You know, I don't look at my, I, I have a dog. I have a dog. I don't look at the dog and be like, oh, listen, my, uh, I need to make sure, you know, uh, you know, I, I got to make sure that the dog don't feel like I'm treating it bad. 
You know what I mean? We don't get into no shit like that. Shit like that don't happen. You you never, you know, uh, or you don't own a a, a car and and get into a and get into an accident with the car and be like, oh, you know what? I I, I did wrong by the car or anything of that nature. So we can't. So and we have to look at our and we have to look at ourselves dealing with this um, system that we're in. That this is how the system looks at us. It looks at us as though we are the car, and that we are owed nothing at all because you are owned by the um, government. So there's no reason for the government to take any heed or precaution in treating you right doing what we would call the right thing by you or anything of that nature. You would never get the right thing done uh, 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 for you by this system that we're dealing with. But with that being said, though, you know, as I said, we, we definitely, we're taking on, uh, we're taking on this great work by Chancellor Williams, which the brother had to put out, and he ended up going blind, you know, while uh, uh, while she put this out, or he would have had a larger and he, a larger volume, but it was something that he had to press out as as quickly as possible due to the onset of his uh, ailment and his vision going and uh, and basically his vision going bad. So we definitely thank him for that for the work. About to hit all uh, about to hit into. Brother, head into the room and make sure that the family know that we live and we on and rocking. That it's on and popping right now. We definitely getting it in. So, uh, you know, I was a little late myself. Tuning in, dialing in. You understand? Oh, you know, I was a little, little late tuning it in. Baby Foley. Baby Foley, Black Ball. Black Ball. I was good, family. I was just looking into our uh, our group room, you know what I'm saying, letting anybody know, letting all the, all the hosts know that we live. I see our brother was looking at the flyer, thought this flyer was a little off. It's right, it didn't look a little off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Must be off that good. For a minute, when he said it, though, I looked at it. I said, "Damn, maybe I." I said, "Hold up, is it?" I said, "Oh, no, nah, no, nah, I got it right." This brother said, "Now nah, he looked again and seen that it was correct." So you know, the, the family be uh, tuning in. We be tightening in everything. Come, you know I mean? <laughs> oh man! But but that's what's up. That's what's up right there. Oh, uh, you know, and I, uh, I seen that, I seen that picture that you put into the group, uh, just before we hit into the destruction of black civilization. I seen that picture you put into the group of the uh, what looked like werewolf puppies, and what I, what I found out was that there is a website that is called Weird Pups or something like. I believe it's Weird Pups. <laughs> Y'all call weird pups. Weird. That's weird. That's where that's created.
yeah, where there's a uh, an artist who uh, some white some white broad the white broad uh, takes and creates these things because she says that as a child she always like wondered what a werewolf puppy would uh, or a baby werewolf or something would look like. So she started creating these things and and um, it's taking off. It's all around what they would call Hollywood. A lot of Hollywood folk got them. But I believe it's werepups.com. And so I've I seen it, and the shit looks real. They look real. They, they're very, very realistic, man. So when I first seen this shit, I was like, damn, it, it, it took me aback at first. You know what I mean? I'm like, yo, what in the hell is that? And then when I did a little due diligence, I seen what it was. I said, all right, all right, it's cracking shenanigans, but it's just very interesting shenanigans for the why would you, you know, just the mindset of the cracker of thinking of animals existing that were part animal and part human at the same time. These these hybrids are, um, are these hybrid imagine, uh, uh, imaginative themes are always inside of the camera who's thought. He, he has the law. I mean, you got a strong thought for that type of shit, man. I look at it from the thought process of being in love with that dog. And we know they got a relationship of sleeping with that dog. And we know that in certain cases it's been said, you know what I'm saying, that they have bred, you know, the cracker with the dog. It's just the baby never survives. It doesn't have a lifespan long enough to... Uh, fully developed to where they can put it out to where you actually seen it walking around or something like that. It usually dies after like a week or two or something. So I don't put nothing past, you know what I'm saying, the Tamahu that this is being done out of their lust for that dog, and they probably do have a lust and desire to have a half-human, half-dog child. Because shit ain't normal, man. But I'm on the website right now, it's real depressing because now I see a sister holding one of these demon mud pups. Yeah, that, that's all I'm saying now. But it ain't even like that's all I'm saying. Like, like yo, the shit is wild because I don't even know what would make you think about even doing creating no shit like that. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? And that's and that's the thing is that it is seeped in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's steeped in a lot of, uh, 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 you know, uh, what we call folklore and a lot of Euro folklore. You know that goes along with the with their mis their misconception or mis uh, idealization of what they were seeing when they dealt with the Africans. You know, when when they seen anthropomorphic figures, their their mind state went into the mind of that this was something that could be possible, human and animal, not understanding that the the idea behind that with dealing with the African was not the same, that it was the concept of the uh, attribute of the animals that we were dealing with. And that was the main thing for us when dealing with uh, anthropomorphic figures, but they take the anthropomorphic figures and um, have created uh, um they took in those figures and created in their own mind and own psyche an ideology that those things could exist through proper hybridization. And I think that this is something that goes back to their own existence because, as as y'all all know,
know out there on feet on the ground, we is not running with that we come from motherfucking apes. We're not going with that one. So, since we do know that there are people who have who are hybrids on the planet, meaning that they are separate that inside of their genome they have separate species inside of their genome, then we have to definitely look into uh the reality that could be uh hybridization of the uh, Caucasian. I just want to say that if you remove the nose and the dog-like muzzle, and then you look at werewolf syndrome, if you look at that first picture I put, now that's real. That, that That's a cracker that suffer from werewolf syndrome. Yeah. Now, I would say that as a child, when he was covered in all that hair, like I said, without the exception of the nose and the dog muzzle, he would have looked just like these images, and for the family, the site is called Asia Erickson's Werepups. And I'm just going to read what it says here. It says, the original real werewolf baby. Whether they appear on television or shared on the Internet or are carried around public places, werepups are continually met with fascinatingly extreme reactions from pure disgust to complete adoration. It's clear that this unusual bread of infants strikes a chord with people young and old in a very big way, often referred to as a combination of both cute and creepy. Perhaps the most intriguing comment is the question that pops up daily to werepup owners around the world is, is that real? What do I feed it, says Alice Cooper. Welcome to the lab. We hope you will enjoy your visit. Take the opportunity to explore Peek behind the scenes and get to know Werepups, creator Asia Erickson, the artist whose childhood dream became not only an Internet sensation, but a highly sought-after collectible in both the, beautiful shin- the, be- the be- beautifully shining excuse me, community of doll enthusiasts, as well as the delightfully dark world of horror pups. Never before have baby werewolves been expressed in such a lifelike way and we are very proud to present to you the official web of the home of Pups. Now, when you scroll down the page, you're going to see one of these uh, Tamahu uh, cave beasts, you know what I'm saying, concepts or whatnot. And if you look at it, yo, and then, like I said, you look up the werewolf syndrome, it's identical. Then when you look at the Tamahu being a Neanderthal uh, hybrid, you see the resemblance, you know what I'm saying? Just shave all the goddamn fur off, you got a crack of Tamahool. So I'm going to say it's a little bit more to it than just supposed to be a joke or, you know, some type of manifestation that somebody got with, like, being obsessed with werewolves and shit. Because uh, we know that the idea and the concept of the werewolf and with any uh, horror film main character is an actual reflection of the nature of the Tamahu. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's my uh, final statement on that right there. Y'all can chime in or, you know, we can keep it rolling. Well, I was with Black Power out there to the family out there. I see Brother Calls out there. Uh, Sister Camille, that's you out there, Black Power. You 
Black Power Family and BB for Hodie. And I'm not even touching that brother Rahe rule. This shit is disgusting, you know. Hey, it's the nature of the taboo. That's what I like to say. It's funny, though. Yo, the true nature of the beast coming out. Motherfucking Tamahu. Okay? <clears throat> Created creature. No. No. Created creature. But. You know what that, that shit is disgusting. I thought that shit was fake. Oh, uh, damn. You, you know, y'all ready? <laughs> y'all ready? Let's go ahead. <laughs> I seen that. You know, we just spoke on it real quick to start the show off, you know what I mean, before we get into this destruction of black civilization. Because that was just um, something, something though, that goes to the psyche, as Brother Hayward was saying, though. It goes to the psyche of, of that Tamahu that we're dealing with, that there's... Um, the things that we see from him are things that they're already experimenting on and trying. You cannot never be, not think that this is not things that they're already trying to implement. They have no reason why not to make a half half cracker, half dog. That's their best friend, the um, their civilizer. So we'll go past their civilizer. Welcome to Speed on the Ground, family. Everybody out there um, tuning in. We're on chapter four of... The great work by Chancellor Williams, Destruction of Black Civilization, Great Issues of Race from 4500 B.C. to 2000 A.D. And um, for the family who out there, if y'all, this is the first time that y'all tuned into the show and we're doing our reading tonight, what will go on is that we'll read uh, several paragraphs at a time. And from that point, we'll, we'll break them down. With, with this chapter right here, because of the breakdown of how he, of how he implements um, sub several separate sections within side of here. We can, um, you know, the first three to four sections are um, not that long, where they might consist of three to four paragraphs, so a person could read through all three to four paragraphs to the end of that section until we get to uh, a couple of the longer sections within side of this chapter. And we'll move on from there and just, uh, you know, read and do an overview. I'll be the designated reader, and y'all be the designated overviewer. If that's okay with the family. All right. We don't have no objections to that. We don't have no objections to that right there. So I'll I'll get it in first. I'll get it in first real quick. Uh, Let's start off. Uh, if anything, hold on. Before we go into Chapter Four, is there, is there anything that anybody wanted to bring up from Chapter Three? Just a little, any, any uh, tidbit, any piece that they want, you know, just wanted to kick in before we move into Chapter Four. Chapter Three being Egypt, the rise and fall, and it basically dealt all the way up to the 25th Dynasty, all the way up to uh, you know, 25th, uh, 25th Dynasty which was uh, basically the last African dynasty within inside of the um, land of Kemet. And that, uh, and that ended approximately uh, 650, now 650 BCE. That should be correct. Let's see here. Uh, 656. We have 656 BCE. So with that being said, 
uh, uh, move on. Let's start off with Chapter 4, the first cataract. The blacks, the black world's new borderline, having lost both Upper and Lower Egypt, Ethiopia's northern border had been pushed to the first cataract at Aswan. And Nico II eventually became king of Egypt, beginning the 26th dynasty, 665 to 525 BCE. <clears throat> um, I want uh, before I go on, we got Nico II here, and I want to make sure I get the the right information. Send that out to family also to make sure that we have. Uh, Accuracy on who these on who these people are. You know what? I'll, I'll read I'll read through and we'll and I'll go back and uh, touch on some of these uh, important names, important peoples in here. Um, Nicholas II eventually became king of Egypt, beginning the 26th dynasty, which is 665 to 525 BC. The Egyptian armies were increasingly made up of foreigners and enslaved blacks. It was during this dynasty that the Assyrians were expelled again. This time, being nationalistic Egyptians, the blacks lost of their beloved Memphis, Thebes, and even the Egyptian name now seemed to be final. Other invasions came. The Persians, under Darius the Great, took over, and their domination of Egypt lasted from 525 to 504 B.C. With the assistance of Greek mercenaries, they returned in 343 B.C. to establish their rule but again for only a relatively short duration. Alexander reached BC. Alexander reached Egypt in 332 BCE. On his world-conquering rampage, but one of the greatest generals in the ancient world was also the Empress of Ethiopia. This was the formidable black queen, Candace, world-famous as a military and tactician and field commander. Legend has it that Alexander could not entertain even the possibility of having his world fame and own broken chain of victories marred by risking a defeat at last by a woman. He halted his armies at the borders of Ethiopia and did not invade to meet the waiting black armies with their queen and personal command. Upon his death, one of the most outstanding generals became Pharaoh as Ptolemy I. This beginning, thus beginning 300 years of Macedonian Greek rule toward the end of Greek domination, the expansion of the Roman Empire had transferred the real center of power to Rome. Assyria, Persia, Greece, Rome, the continuing process of transforming a black civilization into a near-white civilization long before the Christian era. The Ptolemaic period had been largely one of confusion. The division of power among the Greeks, Macedonians, and Egyptians and Egyptians' intermarriages with the latter joint rule, etc., made the Ptolemies at times merely nominal rulers. There were times when a native Afro-Asian ruler gained the center of stage as a star attraction, as in case of Cleopatra. Upon her death, upon her death in 30 B.C., Romans assumed direct control, ruling the country for seven centuries, beginning their reign 30 years before Jesus Christ would be born in the same Palestine where blacks had lived and ruled so long. 
after this long period of domination, the Arab general, Amir ibn al-As, entered Alexandria in 642 A.D. with only 4,000 men. The conquest of Egypt by the Muslim armies, which had reached Pelusium two years earlier, was not only to change the character of Egyptian civilization radically, but it was to have a disastrous impact on the dignity and destiny of Africans as a people. The Arab conquest had opened the floodgates wider and Arabs poured in. Colonization and Islamization progressed. As Egypt became a main center of Arab power, this fact found concrete expression in Arab Islamic expansion over North Africa into Spain and southward into what remained as the land of the blacks. Black power. That's the, that's the end of that first section. <clears throat> Anybody want to add on any anything or uh, make any comments on that on that first section dealing with? Uh, it just dealt with the you know just the continuous loss and of of land and just uh, some of the early early invading empires that came in right after the twenty fifth dynasty. Well, you know, family, once again, we see um, how we come from people, and particularly men, that don't have a problem with a sister she qualified um, to lead the way, you know, uh, such as Queen Candace. We're the only people that have uh, more than one sister. You know, we, we can go back to Hatshepsut, and we can come down to Queen Candace, and we can go past her. Also, during the Roman time, with uh, Queen Zenobia. Mhm. Yes, and, and, you know, as you, as you said, that just shows that uh, strong presence of of the black woman, and and that that real equality, that real equality that was had, knowing who was the best for the job, and so you allowed them to do it. Ashe. And uh, again, coming from a, a people who men really um, valued their women, you know, who manhood, who was so secure in their manhood that they was never threatened by um, a woman uh, showing strength in her femininity. You know what I mean? And I just want to add, um, this is out of uh, Shake Out the Dia because I had came across Candace and Zenobia in uh, John G. Jackson's um, Ages of Gold and Silver, but... Um, before this, didn't have the time to really extract that, but from Sheikh Abdul Diab's uh, African origin, um, the, uh, African origin of civilization, myth or reality, on page 143, he mentions uh, Candace, Queen Candace of the Merodic Sedan. Um, she she impressed all antiquity by her stance at the head of her troops against the Roman armies. The loss of an eye in battle only redoubled her courage. Her fearlessness and scorn of death even forced the admiration of a chauvinist, referring to a writer that um, a lot of cracker beasts quote from, and so do the elder Strabo. You know, he says this queen, Strabo saying this queen had courage above her sex. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing uh, one thing that I found interesting and, you know, just because uh, I said the reason why I wanted to put Nico in because I knew, I knew they had said some things about Nico that I didn't agree with. 
one of the things that they said, and not that I didn't agree with, but that I had uh, alternate information on also on some of the things that were given to him as uh, as uh, accomplishments. And one of them was the was the uh, Battle of Megiddo, where they get the term Armageddon from. And um, right now I'm striving to recollect that I'm going to have to look through some paperwork, but there was someone else that that was that the the uh, Battle of Megiddo was uh, said to have happened before Nico in 600. And I'm I'm trying to remember the Pharaoh's name right now, so forgive me for not being a recollect right off the top of my head right this moment. Um, oh man, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna have to find it for you because I definitely don't want that to be thrown in without this alternate information on where that term Armageddon come from, came from in regards to the city of Megiddo and the. Uh, the triumph of the Africans over the city of Megiddo. Um, if anybody, if anybody out there can remember, it's it's not Amenhotep. Amenhotep the fourth. Oh man, it is. Oh, remember this name. I'm gonna have to look at my Sankofa Super Hey rules. I believe it's in there. Saying that. I think the sister placed it right inside that inside that children's book. Um, so who he made? That's who it is, man. Keparasa, who he made? I I knew I would I knew I would remember, but I had I had that same information from Keparasa, who he made. And saying that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have to pull that up real quick for the family. And. Uh, Somebody, uh, you know, I, I want to, at the same time, is there anyone who has any other thing that they want to add on for the first section or any questions or comments for the first section before we move on to the new borderline of the blacks? Nope. I want to say peace and love to everyone. This is the cop I just kind of tuned in, but I knew um, you all were going in. Kings and Queens. I knew y'all were going in or, or in that area, and um, so I, you know, kind of missed that first little part. But I figured you guys would would um, go ahead and, and break down everything. I saw I saw where you uh, you've already passed up some stuff that I've always always had outlined in my particular book in that area. And that would be um, right past the section. Um, past page, uh, past the first page, uh, 120. That's the section right after there where they said the continuing process of transforming a black civilization into a near-white civilization long before the Christian era. That That was key to me because so many people, you know, I've heard so many people say, uh, you know, they brought Christianity in. It's uh, this, this, it's an old thing. It's an old thing. You know, it was already there. But you know, uh, Doctor Chancellor Williams was specifically, you know, lets us know that these things occurred long before the Christian era. You know, so that that's key right there to know that 
you know, Christianity, you know, they, they want to give it this long history, but we got to realize some things, you know. We had too many dynasties prior to any type of Christianity, so that was key right there. But I remember being in a build a while back, um, and we were, you know, we were just going in on that particular area because we had someone say, oh, Christian dominion has been here. No, not according to uh, destruction of black civilization. You know, no, no. It was, it was these things. I mean, there was there was a continuing process of transforming the black civilization into a near white civilization, but that was long before Christianity. <laughs> you know, the Christian era. So, but that 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 was about it. That's on. That's the only area um, that I kind of like had outlined and have had outlined for a while because of the build that we had on it. But I won't prolong anything with that because I know we're going to try to proceed and get past chapter four, but peace and love to everyone. Peace, queen. Peace, king. Peace and love. Black power, queen. Black power. All right. I'm going to have to, um, and I mentioned that earlier about um, in Kiparatu, Hootie Mays. When I find that information, I'll make sure that I get it in correct for the for the family. But um, as we said, you know, we're on to the new borderline of the blacks. If um, anyone wanted to pick up, pick up right there, and um, we have traced the ancient struggles between Africans and mulattoes. I know our family out there with their reading, and um, as possible, if you don't have the PDF, please contact me at blackpowerblock at gmail.com. We'll get that PDF right over to you. Again, that's blackpowerblock at gmail.com, and we'll get that PDF right over to you so you can um, go follow along with the family here. Or in your spare time, get your reading on. Okay, Black Power. Um, mm-hmm. I'll pick up from there. All right. Peace, Queen. Uh, Peace, Queen. Uh, we on uh, one page 120, the bottom. As the brother mentioned, the new borderline of the blacks. We have traced the ancient struggles between Africans, mulattoes, and Asians where the Africans sought not only to resist conquest, but to retake the whole of Egypt. They succeeded at times, but finally lost all of Egypt, as we have seen. Ethiopia now began at the first cataract in the north, and extended south into present-day Ethiopia. It was now bound by Upper Egypt, the Red Sea, and the Libyan Desert. These are rather general geographical designations without any precise meaning, for ancient Egypt had no precise southern ba- um, sorry boundaries. Ancient Ethiopians would say that their land included Egypt and was, in fact, without boundaries in Africa, insofar as non-Africans were concerned. All of the European and Asian doctrines about unoccupied regions of Africa at any given period in history, are quite meaningless and unacceptable to Africans. For to them, it is just as senseless as it would be to say to a farmer anywhere, see here now, there are large sections of your land unoccupied and unattended, so we'll just have to come in and take it. The Africans' area of great concentration was ancient Nubia, between the first and the sixth cataracts. It was the land where they had developed the great civilization which they had extended over Egypt. Their work had been appropriated by the invaders as their own. 
the geography of Nubia is the geography of much of present-day Sudan and beyond. The Nile flows through its sands and rock deserts with a series of falls and a number of rapids. The country is almost rainless. It is the land of the great Nubian desert. West of the Nile towards the Red Sea was the mining area, rich in gold. It was, even within the concept of these geographical boundaries, the heartland of the black world. Already pushed by the invaders from the Mediterranean areas in the north, northeast, and northwest, the Africans were to be further hedged in from the east and southeast as Asian hordes continued to stream across the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, and much later as the Dutch Boers poured in from the southernmost tip of the continent. Black power? Oh. Black power. Black power. Anybody want to elaborate or are we moving on? Uh, you know, we're leaving a line open for the people to uh, come on in with questions uh, question or comments. Um, Africans, mulattoes, and Asians, where the Africans sought not only to resist conquest but to retake the whole of Egypt. They succeeded at times but finally lost all of Egypt, as we have seen. You know, um, one of the things that, I, that you know, uh, is specific about that is that, uh, you know, him, him stating the mulattoes and Asians, because a lot of times, you know, a there's a large contingency of people to, who want to group us all into this Asiatic uh, black black people. And, you know, uh, which which will take us up out of Africa, but what it does is it gives you onus over the things that it is. You and so we uh, attempt to uh, use that title as a way to come slide in and, and uh, attempt to say that we need some type of that people who are Asian or from outside Africa came in and gave us some type of light and civilization. We've not seen any trace of that yet. Mm-hmm. Always something that's being um, that's being said and being used. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also, you know, they, they and also, you know, as they see. As uh, as as was stated, though the there was really no real border inside of Africa for what what the Africans knew as uh, you know, you know the land that that would be considered as uh, Ethiopia or um or just Africa in general. It wasn't it wasn't like they had it broke up into sections as we look at it today. They didn't see those borders as we see them today. The borders were brought up through the foreign invasion. That's how borders uh, became, became um, you know, defined was through foreign invasions. But before a lot of the foreign invasions, the whole of the of the continent was looked at as just that, as the as one whole thing. There might be a diversity, but there still was the acknowledgement as being one. Mm-hmm. And that's when he came in and started to, as he said here. 
and their work had been appropriated by the invaders as their own. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. right. And view it from that standpoint. You know, it's land. Let's cultivate it. Let's live. You know, let's grow. Let's live. The land is here for us. It gives us life. You know, exactly. we nurture it. So we're not, you know, our main concern isn't to, you know, control it or come and take it from someone. You know, we're looking at it for the benefit that it is to us. But, of course, you know, the the beast and they that didn't see it that way. You know, they started to appropriate things as being their own. You know, and that's their, and that's their main problem today. You know, everything is theirs. You know, every, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, oh, that's a tree. It's mine. You know, mm-hmm. the dirt, it's mine. The grass, it's mine. The air, everything belongs to them, you know. They live in this era of uh, we belong. But we understand why, though. You know, as we continue to proceed, we, we understand more as to why, why they feel this way, you know. Background. Somebody got. Somebody might have a, a a little bit of noise going on in your background. Um, if you mm-hmm. if you want to speak, your, the the microphone is open. But if you have any noise going on in your background, if you could mute your microphone, come back in when you uh you know if you do want to add or make a comment or question. Uh, again, we'd like to thank everybody for coming out. What's going on out there? I see uh, brother Little out there. I see brother. Uh, I see the suit out there. Black Power, BB48 family. Mark Pazzo. All right. Um, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. <clears throat> if anybody wants to uh, take the steps from prehistory, if, if you'd like to take that that section, short section. If not, I'll read it. You know what? I'll, I'll take it. Take it. All right, scraps from prehistory. Uh, scraps from prehistory. The Stone Age Africans lived about the same as Stone Age people all over the world. They were hunters, fishermen, and craftsmen. Archaeologists have dug up some of their tools and other artifacts at Wadi Hafa, Wawa, Sai Island, Wadi Hudu, Salima Oasis, Tangasi, Tagia, and other places. These areas are between the second and fourth cataracts. Our discussion of specific concrete evidence of early black civilization up to this point has been confined to the Egyptian north. Most notable among the Neolithic finds in the south were the beautiful, highly burnished black top and red pottery bowls, jars, etc. The pottery was artistically decorated in wavy ripples of Their earliest writings was in pictures. So many hundreds of these rock messages were found along the Nile to Nubia land that one may well wonder if these prehistoric historians have posterity in mind. While many of the pictures portray wildlife and other objects of interest in the, in the environment, others went beyond the role of the artist and recorded such historic facts as the conquest of northern Nubia by the Nubian pharaoh of old kingdom Seneferu, 2730 BC. This, this war left the vast waste wiped out a civilization that had been developed for Neolithic times. 
Uh, there is this note on uh, there's a note with that 730 uh, BCE date, which is um, there's this is the first chapter, and it states that there was a previous reference to Neferu scorched earth or in his own home to further illustrate the extreme southern opposition to integration with the Asians under Black King. Another piece that's been put in, where uh, which shows that we were uh, cognizant, we were cognizant of of uh, of race. That we were even at this time we were a race first people. That we were not, uh, you know, that that uh, it wasn't something that just developed through dealing with the beast, where the beast created the concept of he knows the difference between whether or not you was black, white, Asian, uh, black, white, or mulatto. So this is something that the, uh, the, the camel who came up with. But we are Brother Bourne, I'm sorry, but it's mad uh, noise in the, in the background while you're talking. I hear it now. Uh-huh. Somebody got it. man. Oh, luck, man. That's how we're going to do it, then. That's how we're going to do it. All right, everybody else. Uh, I see is this, this brother, this brother Tim right here. I think it might be this brother Tim. What's that? This brother Tim right here. No, the um, Kaba, yep, you hear me? Yeah, I got you, Sister Kaba. I, I know which oh, one you. Are. I was right, just looking right. for uh, brother Tim or Sister Makia on one of the other lines, so I can make sure. Because I know that they they was reading along with us inside of the group, so I didn't want to just have so many lines open. So I went went mute everybody first, and then came back. But uh, you know, I'll go to your I'll go back to your lines if uh, and if it's clear, we'll let you in. If not, we won't. You know what I mean, it's it's used up. But uh, again, uh, I was just I was stating basically though that we already had we had a concept of race first already that the race first concept was not something that was brought to us by Tamahoos and it was not something that we came up with as our opposition to uh, racism, white supremacy, or opposition to seeing other people treating us wrong. Now all of a sudden we want to look at people in different races. We were already aware of this. And uh, this is one of the reasons why we had a matrilineal system is so we knew that the uh, rulers would still be coming from up out of our kingdom, that they were uh, attached definitely to the kingdom. So, you know, um, as, as we all know, you can always guess who the father is, but there's never been a Maury show who's the mama. <laughs> <clears throat> So with that being said, that was one of our, our main reasons for keeping that matrilineal system is because we were race conscious and we did not want to just have foreigners being able to come in and take over our um, take over the throne. So um, that's my that's my little piece on that right there. If anybody wanted to add on to that um, small small piece right there, scrap for prehistory. I'm not now. We're moving to the children of the sun. 
And uh, Brother Abel, you said you wanted to, you was going to read a little piece? I'm sure. All right, family. And the children of the sun. For one thing, the land to the south of Egypt had developed a strong economy that was continuously enriched by thriving export trade in paper from papyrus, ivory, gold, ebony, emeralds, copper, incense, ostrich feathers, always greatly in demand, and its famous decorated earthenware. A strong economy also meant a strong Ethiopian army that posed a threat even to an African-ruled Egypt. From the Egyptian viewpoint, the land of the blacks was a threefold threat. Historically, the blacks who had fled below the first cataract to escape the various conquests never seemed to accept these conquests as final and attempted to retake Egypt from time to time. These repetitions are deliberate because nowhere in history is this very important fact clearly stated. But it is clear that having reconquered the Asian dominated Lower Egypt, the black pharaohs sought integration with the Asians instead of driving them out of the country. This policy of moderation and accommodation was apparently background. I'm a, I'm yeah, a, I just got your message. If you want, I, I can pick up right there until you get to a, a clear spot. Now, go ahead. Uh, all right, the children of the sun. I'm going to start at that second paragraph. But it is clear. Uh, all right, um, I got it. But it is clear that having reconquered the Asian-dominated Lower Egypt, the black pharaohs sought integration with the Asians instead of driving them out of the country. This policy of moderation and accommodation was apparently apparently, anathema to the extremist Ethiopians, proud blacks for whom the prospects of having their children come into the world with a color distinctly different from their own was at once an insult to their watching ancestors and an offense to the gods themselves. The attitude might also explain the hostility of the southern blacks towards the Afro-Asians. The latter were not true Africans because they were becoming Egyptians, a mixed breed of many races. They were therefore traitors in the eyes of true Africans whose badge of eternal honor was the blackness of their skin. There was color racism, deeply rooted, for it sprang from religion. They were children of the sun, blessed with blackness by the sun god himself and thus protected from his fiery rays. They were his children. Their very blackness, therefore, was a religious, a blessing, and an honor. The second already stated threat was economic. Egypt's own flourishing export trade, both by sea and caravans, depended heavily on her imports from the south to cut those off would mean economic panic and otherwise prosperous land. Before, before I, even, I want to go on, I want to just go back. To this again. I want to read this paragraph one more time because this is something we, I just spoke on. I want to read this again. The attitude might also explain the hostility of the southern blacks toward the Afro-Asian. The latter were not true Africans because they were becoming Egyptians, a mixed breed of many races. They were therefore traitors in the eyes of true Africans whose badge of 
eternal honor was the blackness of their skin. This was color racism, deeply rooted, for it sprang from religion. They were the children of the sun, blessed with blackness by the sun god himself and thus protected from his fiery rays. They were his children. Their very blackness, therefore, was, was religious, a blessing and an honor. Black pals. You know, I just wanted to read that again just so we could really, you know, just pull that in into your own psyche, the blessing that you have and how that this, that how loving ourselves is something that, look, it's, this is deeply rooted in, in our connection to the universe. Knowing that the blackness of our skin shows our connection to the universe. So, you know, this is something that is not, as the brother said, it is 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 become religious-like. Mm-hmm. This is something that we give praise to, we give reverence to, to the fact that we melanated creatures, and we look at it as uh, in disdain, look at disdain. At those who would who would mix, tamper, and dilute this African um, genetics. You know, this was always looked at that. This has always been. Okay, and and I, I found this those are a few paragraphs to be quite heavy, and something that I haven't really heard um, mentioned by you know uh, those who bring up this work here, uh, this book, destruction of. Black civilization, um, uh, anathema, right? That that means detest. Okay, they detest the few of us who were uh, uh, who had this policy of moderation and accommodation. This makes me think of Dr. Richard King's work because he says in that first paragraph on the first page that. For over 300,000 years, we had uh, African uh, scientists who studied their own blackness. And to me, uh, those uh, three paragraphs or two paragraphs uh, really enforce or reinforce uh, the concept that his work had put forth. And it's something that um, really needs to be honed in on that we come from a people who understood scientifically what that black skin represented, you know. To to have that kind of reverence for it, we're talking about scientists here, they had to know about the composition of it and that what it was composed of, what caused that beautiful complexion, was black itself, thus uh, giving them a, a, a direct connection to Ra, Ra thus being black itself. And that's important. It's clear that even at this early age, the majority of our people were against integration and understood they right to have a child that does not have that uh, beautiful badge of honor, that connection to the gods, that connection to your spirituality, that, that connection to nature was a, a disgrace to the ancestors and something that we need to uh, reestablish within ourselves today. Black power. Mm-hmm. Black power. Black power. Yep. I totally agree with that. 
gonna I'm gonna move right into this uh into the to the second the second already stated threat was economic. Egypt's own flourishing export trade, both by sea and caravans, depended heavily on her import from the south. To cut these off would mean economic panic in the otherwise prosperous land. The third great fear concerned the mighty Nile River. Suppose the Ethiopians decided to bring Egypt to her knees and starve her to death by diverting the waters of the Nile. Belief in this possibility was ancient and ran deep. The Egyptian conquest of Nubia, therefore, might remove the military and economic threats, but insofar as the Nile was concerned, it would settle nothing. Besides, these blacks seem to be unconquerable. A Seneferu might attempt total extermination of the population, burning every town and village, destroying farms and cattle, leaving the land in utter ruin. Yet, as soon as the armies of destruction withdrew, the surviving Africans would come out from their hiding places and begin to rebuild once again. Like Upper Egypt, there was a land of cities and towns, of temples and pyramids. Africans were the great pyramid builders, the temple builders. They had built the great pyramids of Egypt during their rule. Renewed activity in temple building came after Nubia was reoccupied by the 18th Dynasty rulers. All these renewed zeal in building new towns and temples in the south was reconstruction. The old kingdom raiders could not destroy all the temples and other monuments. The returning Egyptians, therefore, had found many fine temples still in use, others in ruins. All Ethiopian inscriptions on the temples and monuments were erased, and Egyptian inscriptions substituted. All outstanding African creations that could not be converted and claimed as the work of Egyptians were destroyed, for now Egyptian meant white, Asian, or European. This was done to promote national unity. Ethiopian inscriptions, of course, recorded victories over Egypt. The Arabs were to carry out the work of eradication in a far more thoroughgoing manner at a later time. All of the South was never completely conquered. The reconquest we are now discussing extended 40 or 50 miles below Abu Hazmeh. History continued to repeat itself below the area of conquest. The Africans continued to rebuild, reorganizing their fighting forces and watching an overextended Egypt become weaker and weaker under weak pharaohs who were unable to cope with the interminable struggle for power among the Asians and Egyptians and other incursive groups. And these cycles of consolidation followed by fragmentation into numerous chiefdoms and principalities, Egypt mirrored the results of the human power craze not only in Africa but generally throughout the world. Yet, in the long view of her history, Egypt's overall record was one of consolidation and unity that at times was not seriously broken for a thousand years. That's what Europeans can't understand about building a dynasty, that last part right there. If you notice, the Nile flows up. So the south always controlled the north. I mean, in Ethiopia, all they have to do is damn that shit up, no, no water. If you understand that and you apply it to what's going on right now, you'll see why those Arabs are making the making it their business to occupy Sudan and dam up and flood certain areas. You see what I'm saying? The the Arabs are in Sudan to make sure that the Arabs 
in Egypt have water or have access to the Nile. You see the point I'm making? And the point that, if you understand, if you read that and you put that in your mind, that last part, what he was saying, how we were able to come in and rebuild, come in and rebuild, because they they controlled the Nile. The South controlled the Nile. Imagine, you know, I don't know if give you a visualization, but imagine if a river starting in, shit, way down south and flowing all the way to Canada. And in and, and the south is where Egypt, I mean, Ethiopia is. And Canada is where motherfucking Egypt is. All they got to do is dam up that water. You see what I'm saying? They always controlled, yeah. That's the first thing Neymar did when he came in. You control it. And 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 like and like you were stating that that was the greatest that was the greatest uh, ability that they had was to be able to cut them off from the Nile, and that went along on top of the fact that the South was where the the major uh, exports were were um, cultivated at anyway. Major resources were in the South also. Uh huh. As we, you know, as we said, you know, the culture came, it, it, it flowed down the Nile, up as how we look at it on the map right now, but the culture flowed up the Nile, or it flowed down from the highlands to the lowlands. All right. If you, were, if you were to give you a visualization, look at it like a tree, a tree, and the roots of the tree would be Ethiopia. And the top of the, the top leaf would be Egypt. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and water flows from the roots all the way to the top of the leaf. And if the roots ain't able to suck up no water, the, the leaves slowly die. Mm-hmm. But off the source. And that's why they said that the belief in this possibility was ancient and it ran deep because they understood the severity of that happening, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Suppose Ethiopians decided to bring Egypt to her knees and starve her to death by diverting the waters of the Nile. Absolutely. They knew that could be a probability, and it'd be problematic as well. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and as you stated, that was a great analogy with, with the science of the tree because we can see trees, be, uh, we can see trees have their growth studied. You could take an apple tree and make it a mini apple tree, and, that's, mm-hmm. it, and that'd be the size of what you could do with the now. Even though you you could stun it and you would still flourish below that part. Mm-hmm. If you cut off, you would still be good below that section. But anything above that would no longer be existing. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at it from more airplane. No, no, I was saying the water that comes down, it soaks into the roots, into the root of the tree, which helps to nourish the actual tree. That is right, King. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And just like a tree, you know, this, you, got the, you got the light effect and you got the shadow effect, you know what I'm saying? The darker, the deeper you go to for the root of the tree, the darker the people are. That's the same context for Africa. And give you another visual, uh, give you give you a real military uh, uh, perspective. Look at look at uh, the documentary with Idi Amin. Mm-hmm. 
He was on the Nile. And what did he kept saying over and over again? They kept calling him a madman. The Jews is going to poison the Nile. Why would he say that? He got even say the Jews, they, they, they're going to poison the Nile and the British. But he's seen that because they, they, the importance of it. That's right. Good enough. And he's on the, he's, and he's on the, he's by Victoria in Uganda. So he's on, I, I, I don't want to misquote. The blue, I think the blue now come from Ethiopia. The white now, I think, come from Uganda. You see what I'm saying? Tanzania and shit. Um, also, too, uh, that the last part always makes me think that that last line, that last sentence, that um, Egypt's overall record was one of consolidation and unity, that at times this is the part was not seriously broken for a thousand years, you know, and there is no other group of uh, kind of man on this planet that can say that despite all of the invasions coming in, as, as the uh, author mentioned, you know, from the Red Sea, off the Indian Ocean, off the Medi- uh, Mediterranean, uh, then the um, amalgamation that was going on. Despite all of that, to have, and we we really talking uh, the later part of the dynasty, that in itself, a thousand years, you know, that's amazing. Yes, it is. Even, even, it's funny because Europeans right now, even right now, 2015, they're still trying to produce a thousand-year dynasty or, or, or a thousand-year empire. And it's funny because we, we can brag about that aspect for a thousand years of just unity. And then Dr. Clark even said that we can also brag about a thousand years without even a war popping off. See, if you said to a white person or a cracker, or, or, or cracker wannabe, I've been dealing with these motherfuckers all week. And I apologize, family. I'm almost all drained and shit. You know, I've been out here in a hundred and something degree weather doing this archaeology shit. But they, if you, if you ask them that, you know, because they can't picture a time without war. They can't see past their fucking nose. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to tell one of them. You know, you know, as far as you think you are, motherfucker, you can't really even see past your nose. <laughs> Real talk, because you're trying to produce a thousand-year dynasty using military as your motherfucking vehicle or your mold. We can think about the many, many dynasties, not just, you know, you know we, I think it was a, we had a, a dynasty that was a thousand years with just peace. Nigga, no, not, no war popping over. We had a thousand years of just unity. We had a thousand years of rebuilding after foreigners came in. We got, you know what I'm saying? We didn't, we are, we, we are a timeless people, man. And even when people who don't see the race shit, that's the real problem. Because that last yes. chapter, that last part that Brother um, Born read off with the the uh, the light skin, the the race complex starting early, that started off. I mean, Francis Cross Washington put that shit down. Right? If you to give, if you to give a, a black person and a white person the same job, a same house, same car. Put the motherfuckers living next door to each other. That white man gonna still look over and say, "You got something I don't have." Yeah. Got that, that coat of armor. You see what I'm saying? Black. Mm-hmm. So, already. Shay, 
and, yep. and that and that's important, King. You know, because I I until reading this book, I did not know that from the onset. You know, I had my suspicions. You know, some works let gave that information, but he's emphatic in this. He's he's saying it multiple times that from the first time that these um, foreigners came into northern uh, Egypt, that the majority of our people were against mingling. They were against it. The lie that they did not see race that's been put out here about our people is very harming because that is not the case. They understood They understood uh, that uh, mingling with outsiders was, as mentioned in this particular chapter we're dealing with now, um, an offense, an insult to the ancestors. You know what I'm saying? An offense to the gods themselves. And that needs to be really honed in because they've seen the, the characteristics of these foreigners from the onset. You know, you got... um um. Uh, J.A. Carruthers, um, I'm going to find that while we're going on later, uh, gives a um, reprint um, writing that's supposed to be uh, Mims or Norma giving a description of these motherfuckers and uh, uh, psychological and behavioral descriptions that he gave are in tune with the work, as the brother just mentioned, of like the elders we have today, Francis Cress Welsing, for example. Yep. So the first thing, only question to, to support that fact, all you have to do is ask the question: What is bringing these motherfucking Asian hordes into Africa? What's going on in Asia, in Southeast Asia? No, 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 in Western Asia. My bad. Murder, mayhem, savagery. That's right. Bestiality. Right. Motherfuckers run from savagery to civilization. You don't run from civilization to savagery. You don't work that way. Mm-hmm. They're right about that. It was, and like you said, they they knew no, they knew no time of peace. So when you in a land where, first of all, when you when you say Western Asia, you got to look at the geography. This, you not really, you don't really have the resources, and the resources out there for them people. So y'all gonna fight all the time because there's limited resources, a lot of people. <laughs> More jungle than anything out there. <laughs> That's right. So, so now you you really don't have land that you can cultivate. You don't. You know what I mean. You do, you're not you're not producing. Uh, uh, you're not producing paper. You're not producing clothing. You're not really produ- You're not producing shit out there. You ain't producing schools. You're not producing no type of education because uh, because you can't produce food, clothing, and shelter properly. So, and that's the reason why they had to go into Africa, because that was the only place that you can even get any type of semblance of fucking education, any type of semblance of idea, uh, like you said, civilization, because that's where food, clothing, and shelter was already had, so you can move on to those other things. Because those are the things that, those are the basic necessities that you have to have in order for you to be able to build civilization. 
I show you, but it shows how events um, our African minds are as opposed to those later type of creatures because, you know, as the brother uh, mentions, when I say brother, I'm refer- excuse me, uh, as the elder, uh, Dr. W- um, Chancellor Williams mentions, you know, it wasn't like it was uh, the environment was friendly. You know what I'm saying? But we used our African ingenuity to make it prosperous. As you, as somebody had mentioned, uh, the uh, invention of irrigation, you know what I'm saying, a- as an example. And he's going to mention later on how they had reservoirs set up as well. But I want to um, correct myself because it's not um, to Mims that this is attributed to. This is um, an excerpt of Jacob, Dr. Jacob Carruthers, and this is in uh, Dr. King's book. It says, during the Ninth Dynasty, uh, he has the timeline, at 3000 B.C., before the first Eurasian invasion of Egypt by the high coast of Pharaoh, passed on to his heir the following wisdom, according to Dr. Jacob Carruthers in 1984. Lo, the miserable Asiatic. He is wretched because of the place he is in, short of water, bare of wood. Its paths, its paths are many and painful because of mountains. He does not dwell in one place. Food propels his leg. He fights since the time of Horus. And so, you know, as the author had brought out, this uh, clearly is um, clearly a reference point to early African knowledge of the psychological differences of the people emerging um, from what is now called Eurasia or or that uh, nomadic lifestyle and warlike mentality. That's funny because that and that, that that's funny because that could be supported by Neanderthal cannibalism. Mm-hmm. I did a paper on that shit, and I, I went into it to scratch the surface. Didn't know how to fight my foot. My fucking other motherfucking Neanderthals made up, I think, about forty percent to sixty percent of Neanderthal diet. I think it was more. I think they're just juicing it up. Well, attributed to me. So them, them you know, I, I forgot who used that. That uh. They use this example. They said that in in Europe during the Ice Ages, the Neanderthal was more cool, or he was more comfortable with seeing the bear, you know, running around there if there was a bear out there, or something, uh, something, another predator, natural, than seeing another motherfucking Neanderthal out there. You see what I'm saying? And that, that kind of because they, they they compete for food, like like you just read off the environment. The environment that produced them has not been. Uh, Shit has not been uh, kind to their motherfucking ass. Shit, in African civilization, one thing you gotta notice about and your African life, African jungle life, you know, niggas say the jungle life shit is not uh, 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 easy, but it's organized. Everything has a place. You see what I'm saying? In the jungle, everything has because because you you know you're not the only motherfucker living in that jungle. So you have to, you know what I mean? You you learn you learn the road to everything has a fucking a shift. You know, you ask Bushmen, you know, people, who live, they don't sleep eight hours a motherfucking day at night only. They sleep in increments because everything got a time period. Some shit's nocturnal. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. when you learn that, meaning when you, if, if you're able to survive and organize, because nature is organized, then you work better at dealing with your people. You, you know, you see what I'm saying? That's civilization. That's simple. That's being simple. Respecting nature around you. So 
the codes that go into dictating morality and behavior come from the, the, the same code in nature. Exactly. And that's how we got the anthropomorphic figures that we dealt with as netters. Because we you know, we, we just see that, that balance with inside of nature. And use that as our, as our daily guideline. This is our guide. This is how we build our moral character on how we deal in fucking nature properly. Because it's going to give you, it's going, nature going to give you what you give it. Shade, there's ebbs and flows, you know what I'm saying? Give and take. Uh-oh. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? That's that balance. That's why you give reverence to nature. You kill something, you eat it, and you're supposed to give some type of reverence back for the life that you take to, to, to make sure that yours keep going on. That's whether it's plant or anything else. It still mm-hmm. takes life to give life. Not according to this new science, though. Not according to this new this newfangled shit. You don't need life to get life. This shit can just spark from nothing. And all the top predators in Africa function in organized numbers. Everything. See, European. I mean, Europeans didn't even know what the fuck insects was. There ain't no insects in ice cold. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> the motherfucker didn't even know what a bug was. What the, what's that? Fucker <laughs> <laughs> was truly. He's, he's the only alien on this planet. He has to be educated on everything about this planet. Right. And I've been trying. I was trying to put my hand on my book. I don't know who's who have put their hands on it, but I'm looking for it. Um, and, I mean, it's a great detail. It's by Bradley um, Iceman and Harris. I was and, and, I mean, I'm looking for my book. I don't know who has, has touched it, you know? I there's just, a good snippet in there. Oh, I see it. Here we go. I got, I got yeah. it. I got you got it. Get it out because um, that's I, the, that's, that just gives his barbaric nature. Just puts it in context, you know. <laughs> just tells me exactly what you are, you know. And I'm trying to see, you know, it kind of bothers you when somebody cuts your thing. I'm going to lose it in a minute, y'all, if I don't find that book, because I know I haven't had it. But go ahead. Go ahead, King. Uh, mine's going to fall out. My shit, but the paper's about to, the damn paper's going to fall out. The page is going to yeah. fall out. Look <laughs> at my book. I put the tape on mine, but I even try to open it to let it go fall right apart. That's the one. Mm-hmm. That was a good, good use. I put good use to it. Uh-huh. We'll get to it. We'll get to it environment. But um, yeah, we wanna, let's get let's um let's um hit this uh rest of this chap rest of this uh chapter right here. We're on page one twenty five. So we get to the development of writing. And this is this this is a close to some on a nice little little spot. Do I take it or is somebody else going 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 give it a spot? Um, for the family or whoever is about to read, I just want to say, Brother Minkara, uh, please, uh, you know, if you have to bounce early. Uh, let me know, because there is something on page 86 that I want to share with you um, and get your opinion on, uh, particularly since you are also 
um, a graduate in the field of anthropology and doing that work in real time. Uh, Black House. No problem, Queen. All right, dear family. Well, it's on, it's on me. It's on me. Napata was a beautiful city. I'm on page 125, the first cataract, um, destruction of black civilization, great issues of race from 4500 B.C. to 2000 A.D. by Chancellor Williams. Napata was a beautiful city that was favored by surroundings that helped to make it so. It was located between below the fourth cataract, above the great curve where the now had turned southward, and as, and as though changing its mind, turned north again. An imposing hill, the throne of the sun god, was the site of temples. The city itself was regarded as the holy of holies, the capital of what the Egyptians called the land of the gods. But Napata referred not only to this central city, but included what today we would call a metropolitan area that covered towns and villages for miles in all directions from the present-day town of Karima. It was to this area that African leaders, including priests of the various cults, retreated when things got too hot in Egypt. Here also, certain African kings preferred to stay even when their position and power in Egypt were unchallenged. Most of the royal burials and pyramids were at, were at Karu. The largest period in Ethiopia is that of King Taharqa at Nuri. After the Assyrian Greek invasion in 590 B.C., the city was again almost completely destroyed. The capital was moved to the other side of the river to Moreau, the historic industrial center. The blacks apparently had been more concerned with the development of their copper industry than with iron. Iron ore was in abundance. Was in abundance. The early failures to exploit it, especially for military weapons, was the reason Assyrians, with their superior iron weapons, were able to sweep the blacks out of Egypt, invading the heartland and destroying the holy city of Napata. The Africans had long since learned the use of iron. They knew all about the smelting process. Why did they allow the Assyrians to get ahead of them? Question. Granted, granting, but granting that the ancients kept their military development secrets as nations try to do today, it was also true that spies, including Africans, were active everywhere. The question is interesting because we are not discussing the period when the African had ultimately surrendered to despair and retrogression, but a period of African power, high civilization, and a greatness respected and feared by the ancient world. Even after the onslaught by the Assyrians and their allies, the Africans were to rebuild from the new capital city of Moreau, a civilization greater than, than the one just destroyed. There were many lesser states and countless small chiefdoms in the vast land, mass that began where the effective control by Ethiopia ended. Through all these millenniums of ups and downs, of trials and errors, the, of great victories and disastrous defeats, through it all the central drive of this once black land was in the direction of consolidation and progress. Tribes were united into one nation, either voluntary, voluntarily or that failing by force. Strong armies were maintained to protect and expand their civilization. The retaking of that part of the homeland that extended north alone, the Nile to the Mediterranean, was at once the deathless dream, the impassioned goal, and the cornerstone of their foreign policy. These Africans battled the invading, the invading 
ages, decade after decade, and century after century, until their resistance to conquest and enslavement extended over 4,000 years. From ancient days, therefore, Africans had had in the very center of the heartland on the continent a history from which their posterity could learn how unity alone provided the conditions of strength and progress that each one of a thousand little independent chiefdoms were, but a standing invitation to the aggressors and the ultimate domination of all. Why did the Africans fail to take this message of salvation as a revealed truth from their own history? What dims civilization's light on Barco Hill and caused an ultimate withdrawal to the bush and the scattering of people hither and yon like hunted beasts? Why did Africans begin to retire from the race with other advancing peoples and fall so far behind that even the memory of former greatness could not inspire a revival because that memory had been almost completely blotted out? I have been, de- I have been detailing some of the answers throughout, and in later chapters we shall explore further answers to questions raised. We now cross to the west bank of the Nile and journey farther south to the city of Moreau. It is the 8th century B.C., and the move to Moreau to was simply a move, of, a move to what was already the southern capital, only now instead of having two capitals in the south, there would be only one. That's in the, the section within side of the first cataract, the children of the sun. And as you see, we've been fighting people. And, and the fight been uh, long. Go, go back. Go back to that. I don't know if I heard that part. Right. I'm, I'm familiar with what you reading. Read this section over with the exploits of copper, because I know Africa. We've been smelting iron, but in terms of bronze, we didn't have a lot of bronze because I think you need copper and tin makes uh, bronze. If I'm not mistaken. I'm just going off my head right now. Well, read that part over, please. Uh, the blacks apparently have been concerned with the development of their copper industry than with iron. Iron ore was in abundance. The earlier failures to exploit it, especially for military weapons, was the reason Assyrians with their superior iron weapons were able to sweep the blacks out of Egypt invading the heartland and destroying the holy city of Napata. Uh, the Africans okay, okay, okay. That right there, right there. That's where you that's where you you you, you jump right to Walter Williams. Because Walter Williams said that um the Egyptians didn't have a standing army. You heard that before? Yeah, I did I, I did hear that. The only Pharaoh you see in the war I mean you see other it's some, you know, it's patchy shit. Even how they give you Egypt, because you gotta separate the biblical shit from the historical shit. You know what I mean? Like on one hand, they give you Neymar's palette when he was smiting the enemy, and and that's 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 you know, and the context of that is him kicking out the foreigners, right? The Asiatics and shit, right? Now, when you look again, you get the same type of 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 uh, with the um the Syrians. But you look at they lost because we were smelting iron and shit. But we were doing we were we were making tools. We were making weapons. They would they would just use because they, that's that's when uh I'm trying to get my thought the clock said that the um 
the first institution of warfare, organized warfare, was strictly European. You heard that before? You said the organization of warfare? Yeah, war, uh, uh, warriors, okay, if we and you got to civilize it. Warriors is one thing from a standing army. A standing army, eat, sleep, shit, war, wars. The warrior, he got other duties. He may be a blacksmith, a fucking teacher, a fucking fisherman. But by the time, but when it's the, the, the call to arms come for defending his country, he, you see what I'm saying? That's a warrior. Yeah, a warrior is more of an ideology and a, and a lifestyle, and a, a soldier is a, is, a, is a profession. That's a job. You know what I'm saying? When you got to stand in the army, you're a soldier, and that's your job, is motherfucking be soldiering. But when you're a warrior, that's your that's your mindset. That's just how you live. But you could be doing any any type of motherfucking job and still be a warrior. Right, right. It's, right, right. It's, it's more like, okay, meaning meaning Europeans were the first motherfuckers who have a war. Uh, I'm trying to give my, a better give realization. Uh, Europeans are the first people who have a war culture. That's the point I'm looking for. Whereas war is a part of human life and a part of human behavior, but it's not all. It's not the whole totality of life. You see what I'm saying? So you may have an African who is a warrior who may, who knows the, the uh, 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 structures of warfare, the political side of warfare, but it's other shit to live in other than this warfare. You see what I'm saying? Husbandry. God damn it, uh, a chiefdom order, organizing society, building a society, you see what I'm saying, raising children, God damn it, teaching children, you see what I'm saying, it's more, Europeans are the only motherfuckers who, I was, you know, when you look at the movie 300, the motherfuckers are a war culture, you know, when the baby was born, they expecting the baby, looking for a weakling, they raising soldiers from babies, you see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. that's the difference, that's how the Syrians, because what else, Look what this look what the Syrians coming from. Look how far they was willing to come to come fight. God damn, what the fuck is going on in Syria? For Syria. You see what I'm saying? That's where a little bit of Syrian history come in, but I'm if I'm not mistaken, that shit gonna shoot a little bit to the Bible. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I think you you bring up a great point because as uh uh, George G. Jackson shows a stolen legacy. Um, the mind uh, sciences, the development of the mind, um, requires a peaceful environment for contemplation to occur, uh, for philosophy to uh, arise from from those uh, contemplation of your environment. And uh, an argument could be made that uh, the militarization of um, our people was in response to the invaders, them creeping up, you know what I mean, uh, on, on the northernest uh, uh, aspect of, of, of our land that is now called Egypt, you know, and uh, as he mentioned that uh, northwest area um, that's now called, uh, that was called Libya at that time. So, you know, uh, your point is really dead on, and, Sister, if, if the aunt's of Sister um, Jacob Carruthers, Dr. Jacob Carruthers mentions that by the uh, Ninth Dynasty, we're um, saying, uh, doing a, a psychological assessment on these invaders and saying that this behavior that you're seeing in the Ninth Dynasty was known, we, they were seeing at the time of Horus. 
which would be, you know, uh, the, the pre-dynastic time as well. So you're absolutely dead on. Mm-hmm. Two words that that Africans don't know, and and, and two two words that we just don't understand because we just don't think that way. Chaos and mayhem. That's what Europeans bring: chaos and mayhem to society. You see what I'm saying? Because it's just, it's just okay, okay. Here it is. It's, it's, you have to know somebody to betray somebody. So they come in there, setting their borders up, and the borders seem to be getting closer and closer inland. And they are doing, they are playing copycat. They are spying, learning where we keep our fresh water, learning where the resource, learning how we hunt our food, learning all that shit, and seeing something that we should have never shown their ass. Seeing a smelting iron, and seeing how we were making our tools, and see. You got to know, you know, when you ever have a student, anybody, you got to know what they're going to do with information and how they even process information. So everything they've seen, the Europeans, all they do to this day is weaponize everything, weaponize information, weaponize this, weaponize that. So the minute they've seen that smeltering of the iron, they didn't think of they didn't think of using that to produce a tool like a hoe so that you can turn a, a, a soil into, into fertile soil so you can grow some shit. He's seen this, well, I can make some... You know, that would be a nice spear if I made it out of a spear like that, man. That would poke through them. You see what I'm saying? And then that went into, okay, damn, they're using spears now with metal tips. But if I have a metal shield, I could, you see what I'm saying? Then that whole little metal war, all in their warfare. And we was caught off guard. Betrayed. All of a sudden, these motherfuckers were like, okay, you know, call our warriors. Are we ready for these motherfuckers? And they were pulled out using tools that was weapons. Using some of our science. That's how it's just start popping off now. Mm-hmm. And it, it also speaks to black traders because somebody had to give that knowledge to them. You know, it was it, it's clear that uh, we didn't give the knowledge yet of uh, the architectural sciences because they had, even at this late date, we're still building all the temples and monuments. They don't have that knowledge yet. But somebody, as he mentioned, uh, traders, you know, uh, blacks, African spies, who took that knowledge. And, and, and this is a thing that I, we, we have to really establish today. A code of secrecy. You know, uh, stop telling all our shit. Okay? What is ours is ours, and it needs to stay that way. And anybody that violates that needs to be dealt with because we see what happened when we shared information with people that psychologically were savages. And see, that's why, if you understand that, psych, that, that, that psychology on how Europeans, uh, Europeans use savagery to govern this planet, just like they do to this day. You can get anything, this is, this, this is you know, when all fails and you can't buy them out, use savagery, right? But that's savage. You can get a lot of things in this society, but but it can't get it. It, can, it can't produce a thousand year society, and it will never produce a lasting endure a, a pyramid that'll last longer than two hundred years. Now I'm giving them, you know, they can never produce that because the culture they they base success on either savagery or money. Oh, he got the oh how, how much did he pay for? 
or did he conquer it? You see what I'm saying? Slaves couldn't make pyramids. You have to have a, a, a culture in place that will put a commitment on individuals that goes beyond this life. When you got a million people, the, the European don't even look at it from that perspective. If, you know, a million Africans, a million Africans all uh, uh, properly put in one stone in place. You know, you see what I'm saying? You get a quarter of your work done right there, not by paying them, but because you know, even though they come from different walks of life and so forth, when it comes to viewing nature and knowing their place in nature. And showing that you see it can get done like that, and then the sons of their builders, because you know this is we talking about the sun people, so we talking about time being on our side. So we, we there is no rush. We need to, I need this building up in, in six months. You know, none of that. It's done when it's done. It, and to be honest, it'll never be done. It's a work in progress. Because we was practicing perfection, practicing perfection. Not saying we were perfect, but we were practicing perfection. Trying to get it right, trying to get it right, and and the only way you'll be good at practice perfection is to say that it's it's never done. Things it's, it's never done. It can always be improved. We can always be a better people. This 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 civilization can always be better. We're not showing enough respect for nature. This 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 this, 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 this is the culture of the African. Only way you can get that that individual to get from that mind state is to get them out of the same place that put them in the position of power that they in nature. Put them in concrete boxes. Put them in the same the European beliefs were playing reverse roles though. He came out the caves, conquered us and put us in fabricated caves that we all in right now while we on this line. Make about his cave, you in your cave, right? We would normally have this discussion by fire. In a temple or in nature. Nature is the temple. Mm-hmm. No children tomorrow morning, they're going to go to school and they're going to be in this cave and they are rewarded for learning how to be quiet and be still in the compact ass little classroom. And you know what the reward is going to be? To go outside and play. In the, in the, it's a fabricated jungle, but it but it's, there ain't no walls. Ain't no roof. They give it to you. But when you done playing, I blow this motherfucker. When you hear that bell ring, goddammit, you better stop what you're doing. They still giving out pink slips, y'all? <laughs> huh? Uh, I don't know. They might. I don't know. Why? You can't tell me they didn't prepare you for an army? I know I ain't the only one. After recess... The teacher came out like 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 a staff sergeant for a little regiment, and you motherfuckers got to line up, right? Yo, you know what you saying that I just was I was just on the playground this morning, and that's exactly how they had them. One teacher had one line, the other teacher had two lines, but he was, they called them jokers in line just like that, like the staff sergeant. Single motherfucker file, right? If not, yeah, one one people had single file, the other teacher had. The, the white teacher had single file. The black teacher had two lines. Mm-hmm. That conditioning, we were talking about that before. That's the same thing that goes on in the uh, prisons. Same kind of lineup. 
you know, and instead of reward and punishment uh, bullshit. Mm-hmm. Hey. Whistles, bells, doors, locks, and walls. I hate the motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Whistles, bells, locks, walls. You know what I mean? That's confinement. That's cave life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. And that's why they'll never be able, to, be able to produce a pyramid. They don't have the right thinking. Listen, because, look, look, look. This comes from one page 104, Michael Bradley, the Iceman Inheritance. This is the cracker on the cracker. This cracker on cracker right here. Prehistoric sources of Western man's racism, sexism, and aggression, page 104. Neanderthal was human, but it, is, but it is absurd to call him Caucasoid. It is my feeling that Carlton Kuhn was led astray by his view of race. It is my suggestion that Kuhn got the relationship between Caucasoids and Neanderthals backwards. Neanderthals were not Caucasoids. It is the other way around. Caucasoid is the label we apply to the present and historical inhabitants of Eurasia because they can be roughly differentiated from other kinds of men on the basis of Neanderthal vestiges they retain. This otherwise very variable Eurasian population, that of the Caucasoids, just barely retains sufficient traces of very distinctive Neanderthal adaptations to justify regarding it as a group. We differ from other men in our hairiness, in the width of our pelvis, in the proportion of our limbs, in the heaviness of our wrists and hands, in our straight hair, in our tendency to exhibit brown and red hair. Those are the significant differences. F, significant means giving a clue about evolution. All these seem to be faint echoes of once extreme Neanderthal characteristics. Uh, both Ashley Montague and Ivan T. Sanderson have observed that Caucasoids, far from being the most refined race, are actually the most primitive appearing and least refined race. Montague says if races would take the trouble to visit their local zoo and for a moment drop their air of superiority and take a dispassionate look at one of the apes, they would find the hair of these creatures length, that their lips are thin, and that their bodies are profusely covered with hair. And these characteristics... In these characters, the white man stands nearer the ape. Sanderson says the Negro so-called race is apparently the newest and is the least pungent-like of all. Apes have no lips and the straightest of hair, the shortest legs and the longest arms, and a host of other features that are exact opposite of those of Negroes. The most pungent-like are the Caucasoids, which have non-averted lips, straight hair, and so forth. So forth. The mongoloids are really very different from both. Their long head hair, rounded section, their absence of body hair is very odd. So also are the proportions of parts of their limbs with small hands and feet, short lower limbs, and longer upper. Hold on. Um. It, is, it seems reasonable to suppose that we caucasoids are an un, are an identifiable group, identifiable group because of the primitive and bestial physical characteristics we inherited through Neanderthal <laughs> genetic input. And just as a 
that our Eurasian fossil hominid history clearly shows that Caucasoids are probably the most mixed and least pure of any group. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and now I had this book by uh, Ashley Margaret or whatever the hell his name is for a very long time on anthropology. Now I guess I'm going to need to read that. Uh, yo, Montague. <laughs> oh, Montague. <laughs> the DJ, nothing but the beat. So that's what we're dealing with. That's this is why the white man. This is the white man word. That's him on him. <laughs> white on white. That's white on white crime. So y'all can't don't cry. Drive me a river when you talking about, oh, y'all just talking bad about white folks. And he's an anthropologist. Yeah. I was more, I was fascinated by how I even got to one to study that type of topic. Here, Michael Bradley was a Canadian who finally moved down south. God damn it. And, and they were involved in the civil rights movement, right? Mm-hmm. And the KKK found out about it. Went to the house. Bull whipped him. Bull whipped him. Burnt their house down. Damn. And then went up the road and hung two black children. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's sitting there 10 or 12. This cracker with a bloody back said, why would my people do me like this? <laughs> he wasn't, you know, in my opinion, he wasn't fucked about what the black folks getting hung. He's seen the price, though, you know. They, they made an example. Nigga, you want to help out, nigga? This, so he wanted to go study his people. Mm-hmm. To find out what the hell is wrong with these motherfuckers here. Because I'm wrong here. <laughs> Michael Bradley said the problem with the world is white people. Yeah, and this book is good. Uh, it's to, to 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 give you the parallel to really to really prove everything Walter Williams saying in his book. What's Michael Bradley's book? The Thirteen Tribes of the Caucus. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, one day we might have to just read the the John the introduction by Dr. John Henry Clark. Yeah, in um in his uh book in that um um Western I mean uh Iceman Inheritance and I'm still um a little in dismay because there's a few books that maybe I don't know if I misplaced them or if they sitting somewhere I went in my car. I, I, I was quiet for a moment because I was I'm really on a hunt right now. I was looking for my book because I don't like when things just disappear, you know. So uh-huh. I'm hoping I just misplace like to disappear in my book. All the stuff I know, I'm like, yo, listen, look, I'll just, you know, don't, don't take my books. Just leave my books right there. Yeah, leave my books alone. Oh, God. I almost got in for a minute. I felt my own. I was like, wait a minute. Whenever you associate your nervous system, determine your behavior. So hold on, let me calm down a little bit because maybe I don't want to start blaming nobody for just Xing my books and throwing them away. But, you know, those in particular are special to me, and I don't know why, um, why they not where I had them at? That's that's all I'm saying, you know. And I'm glad you was reading them the snippets out of there because I I surely I, I was supposed to be able to just reach out and grab mine, but for some reason it's not it's not around me. Not it's not even in my car. So I'm really like, wait a minute, you know, what's what's going on? That one and Walter Williams, you know. So so that means there's a group of books. That I don't have right now. That's been moved. They, 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 
together. Huh? They're together somewhere. They all hanging out with each other. All right. Well, okay. They hanging out. All right. <laughs> hanging out in his house. I can guarantee you that. Because I can guarantee you, they not nobody was supposed to remove him from this house. Yeah. I know I didn't. <laughs> yeah, they in the house hanging out together. They in a bag or something together. Another <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, thing that's interesting too is. Hold on, Mikara, you just went real low. We can't hear you, Harley. Is that me, or, or is he still low to y'all? Yeah, he low. Yeah. Brother Mikara, your, your, your phone just blanked out on us. Like, we can't hear you, Harley, at all. Right, I can't hear her. What? Is he still talking and can't hear him? I think so. No, can't. we can't hear you. Yeah, we can't hear you, Brother Mikara. Brother Mikara. Uh, <laughs> he's going in, though. He's going in, though. He's going in, we can't hear nothing he's saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm serious. The black Hebrew Israelites like to claim, yeah, yeah, you know, go. You know, that's just in the north. Brother Minkara, Brother Minkara, yeah. part itself. But we couldn't hear about the last two minutes of what you were saying at all. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I was saying okay. if you if, if you would take Michael Bradley's book and give it to a black Hebrew Israelite, uh-huh. and, and you know most of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel is all in the north. Uh-huh. All throughout Eastern Europe, Western, you know, all they, they sporadically all through there. In his book, he goes as he goes into detail about these motherfuckers. He goes into detail about what part of Europe they in. He says, uh, 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 and their behavior. He said, "You think it's a? You think this white man? This cracker?" Now he said that the Eastern Europeans are even more violent than the Western Europeans are. He said, go on your map. he said, go on your map and, and look at Georgia. Not Georgia in America. Georgia, by, I think, by Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, yeah Georgia right there. Yeah. And, and a month from when you look at it, go look at it again. And you'll see that the border changes. They wore so much over there that map makers ain't even fucking with them no more. Because they, they, because they pushing the borders back so much, they fighting over land. And, and Michael Bradley say... The worst European is the one who never left home. He's saying them the, the fuckers. And he goes to the 13 tribes, and then he tells you the, the, the most violent. He even, he even touches on shit. That's how the Afghanistan, that's how the Afghanistan was in their ass. They've been in the motherfucking caves, tunnels for thousands of years. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They've been there for thousands of years, man. You ain't talking a lot on that. And like you said, you know, that's why you go up in there into those caucus mountains. You go up deep into Russia, man. You got crackers in there, man. You talking about Dracula. You got both of the, You got both extremes in that motherfucking cold out there, man. You got the Dracula motherfucker. Then you got that goddamn just hairy beast, man, monster out there. Okay. It's, the, it's, the, it's the double extreme. Like, you know how the Europeans look, how, I mean, well, like uh, a cracker from England. Now, they got an extreme cracker that looks like that in, out there in Eastern Europe. But he's extreme. He's total no no color at all, none at 
motherfuckers just look dead skin, big gray skin looking motherfucking crackers. They got them, and then they got the big furry motherfucking Ivan Volkoff that has Nikita Koloff looking motherfuckers just fur all over the back, the neck, all just furred out. Mm-hmm. And these are the uh, Jews who are the Zionists today. Those are the, look what they're doing over there. You know what I'm saying? What used to be our territory now is called Palestine. Look what they're doing to the Arab cracker beasts over there. That's right, Queen. That's what that fucking movie, The Underworld, that's what, that's what they are doing, the vampire and werewolves up there. That's what the fuck they look like. Some of them looking like vampires, the other one looking like goddamn werewolves. Shit that you just, shit that you just don't understand. What the fuck is this? And he had to say, and he said something important, uh, but that brother Mikolai didn't even just say this, but I had to put, I can't find my book, so I found the PDF right quick. I went in and found the PDF, but look, I went just exactly to where I wanted. This is um, um, in uh, part one, that last page, uh, Brother Bourne and family, where he says, he says, I will propose in this essay that the white race possesses an atypical level of aggression. Whether this characteristic is a superiority or an inferiority depends solely upon environmental conditions. That's key. I suppose that from about 30,000 BP, and BP meaning before present, I suppose about I suppose that from about 30,000 BP until now, abnormal Caucasoid aggression must be judged to have been a superiority. (laughs) The Caucasoids manifestly expanded culturally and geographically, often at the expense of other races of men. This is the objective biological uh, 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 creation of evolutionary success under the environmental conditions of a relatively empty and resource-rich world, Caucasoid aggression proved supportable, viable, and successful. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, but environmental conditions have changed. One day we're we going to go in, or we, we need to go in on that, that, uh, that whole book because it's, it's, it's a good one. <laughs> and, I mean, it gets down deep in there, Sister Queen, you know. <laughs> But, you know, that's interesting because, see, I'm of the position that, you know, it's biological. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm you, know, um, you know, I'm saying, like, the argument has been made. I've heard the argument put forth that uh, their behavior was a result of the environment, the harsh cold. Well, uh-uh. one could equally, that can be an argument. But right, one could right. equally say, who's to say what came first? Is it uh-huh. the biological aspect that brought uh-huh. forth this behavior, which is a relationship uh-huh. to the environment, or the uh-huh. environment which changed the biological, which doesn't uh-huh. change the, the psyche? Well, you know, I agree because, you know, we were talking about that the other day. I was saying, how did they come from us? I, 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 would, beg to all, I, I would beg to differ. I would beg to argue that they didn't. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. But he's just saying that in the context of, this particular, you know, his, given his um, his whole disposition on the environmental conditions, and he did say 
whether this characteristic is a superiority, superiority or in, inferiority depends solely upon environmental conditions. So I'm thinking he's saying that at any particular time, and given whatever environment they're in, their bestiality can either lessen, <laughs> you know, or worsen. <laughs> that's that was, my take on it, you know. That's true. That's that's right. Yeah. That's looking at history that's so far, regardless <laughs> of the environment, yes, they have yes. remained the same. <laughs> no, that's what, and that's what I think he's saying. He's saying that, listen, man, they're going to be, we're going to be beasty. No yeah, regardless. Yeah. If we call, but we're going to start eating each other. <laughs> how we interact with the other people, how we interact with other things, depending on the environment, how beasty exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah, that's his point. That's his point in that particular context. That's where he at, because I, but, but you definitely, I definitely agree um on the biological aspects of it. That's just, you know, I mean, we, we get into the science of all of that, but, yeah, I definitely agree biologically. From a biological standpoint, yes. I mean, it just, it's all around, you know. it's all it's, They're complete. It completes them. Disorder, chaos, just total. Just total disorder and chaos, rather it be environmentally, biologically, and I mean, it's both. It's all of it. But it's, I believe, I would beg to, to argue that, you know, we're dealing with a biological problem here, you know. I mean, that's just why we had to civilize them. Remember that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, all right, family. We're going to move into the development of writing. I know we, I know we, uh, you know, we, we got it. How we, we still on topic, though. We're still on topic, destruction of black civilization. We move on to the development of writing. Uh, and I'm going to start that off. And then we have uh, this is a nice little section. But um, we're going to start that off with a distinguished line of leaders followed Tanuk Ahmed to the throne in 653 B.C. At Lanursa, Sekhemansakin, Alaman, Aspalta, Amtalka, and Malent Akam. Palace, temple, and pyramid builders all. Two of the greatest temples were built by King Aspalta at Moro, the Sun Temple, and the Temple of Amun. The imposing pyramids and rows of huge royal statues added to the, majest- the majesty and magnificence of Moreau. The royal tombs, as in Egypt, were the repositories of the nation's histories. From them, archaeologists were able to determine the line of 41 rulers after the conquest of Lower Nubia. These monuments were not only sources of early African history from within, but of the highest importance. They were elaborately decorated outside with both the first form of writing, hieroglyphics, and the more advanced African inscriptions in their own invented writing. For the Africans themselves had invented writing in all attempts to connect this ancient achievement with Egyptian or Asiatic influence have failed. Here the external influences school hold on, here the external influence school has suffered a major defeat because the written records found on statues, altars, tombstones, graffiti, etc were so distinctly African that their native origin could be successfully disputed. Moreover, the African system of writing was very different from the Egyptian. It was simpler and had 
vowels, where Egyptian had none. There were 23 characters or letters in the African alphabet, four vowel sounds, 17 consonants, and two sides of the syllable. New concepts and new or special words could be easily introduced by the old picture system. Clarity and easy reading was assured by measured spacing between words. A system of numerical symbols for mathematics was developed. The, Af the African inscriptions or monuments and such records as those found in royal tombs were in special category. General writing was done on tablets of wood and skins prepared for that purpose. Such things as rocks, walls, bases, and broken bits and pieces of earthenware comprised other artifacts where ancient African writing was found. Again, how and why did all this disappear? How and, how and why was it blotted out or hidden so completely for 2,000 years that an ignorant world with unprecedented research facilities in its universities still believes, teaches, and proclaims that the black man had never developed a civilization of his own? It has been noted that the attractions of Ethiopia, the land of the gods, was, were great, not only because the Egyptians regarded it as the main source of their religion, but also because of its social, political, economic, and strategic importance. When African kings reconquered Egypt and became Egyptian pharaohs, they still longed for the motherland to the south, desiring to unite the whole of it with Egypt into one vast empire. They would often retire there, some wanting their final resting place to be in a pyramid below the first cataract. To the south rested their ancestors, whose company they were to join. Here was the capital city of both the black man's world and that of his heaven as well, the holy city of Napata. During the different periods in which Napata came under a foreign yoke, the capital city of Moro had to become somewhat holy in its own right, and many of the kings and queens and other leaders were buried in pyramids there. These were constructed of stone outside the city proper, sometimes at a visible distance of two or more miles. They were built to stand forever, an attempt that stemmed from the Africans' actual belief in immortality. That is why their faith included the natural assumption that those who had passed on, their ancestors, were living in the great beyond and were therefore in the most favorable position to represent the interests of their kinsmen below or in short to serve as mediators between God and man. The pyramids ringing, hold up. This is why their faith included the natural assumption that those who, passed, who had passed on, their ancestors, were living in the great beyond and were therefore in the most favorable position to represent the interests of their kinsmen below, or in short, to serve as mediators between God and man. <clears throat> the pyramids ringing the city not only added to the physical beauty of the surroundings, but they were also the silent sentinels, the ever-watchful ancestral presence from which might come either a benediction or a curse. Earlier, you may recall, I was unsparing in my criticism of those African societies which seemed to be governed by fatalism, and I failed to counterattack against their natural and human, and failed to counterattack against their natural and human enemies. As I read the record, it seems to me that these groups did not try to meet the awful challenges which confronted them. They gave up too readily and refused to ignore tribal lines or to unite for common survival strategies. They remained scattered here and there like hunted animals, moving into barbarism and savagery. Such were, such were my strictures, and, and obviously I did not give the whole story even about these groups. Now, however, and by a glorious, 
contrast, we are in the midst of blacks, the core group of all Africa who met the challenge on all fronts. And from every direction, and who fought on and through the centuries against forces of man and nature until they themselves were completely overwhelmed. 3,000 years ago, the desert, while slowly moving in on Africa, had not advanced to where it is today. There was more uh, arable land in Ethiopia, although its agriculture did not match that of the rich Delta region of Egypt. The blacks were, however, mainly agriculturists like other Africans. Even with their remarkable industrial development, farming went on both sides where the two Niles met in their land before continuing as one great river through Egypt to the Mediterranean Sea. Nor should the importance of the Atbara River be overlooked, even though the surrounding deserts were a problem insofar as agricultural expansion was desired, the more immediate problem was famine from drought. There were years during which no rain fell at all, and not a hopeful cloud appeared in the sky. Um, it was basically a little lesson, so I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep going. Uh, I followed the, uh, the grammatical error here. The Africans met the challenge by constructing a national system of reservoirs. These were these were strategically located around the capital, at Misurogat, Naga, Hordan, Um, Usada, and Gazira region or Dunab, Basa and doubtlessly other sites not yet excavated. <clears throat> this massive plan to defeat drought and famine by a system of reservoirs was more important than all of the architectural art that found expression in their beautiful statues, temples, palaces, and columns and pyramids. The reservoirs were more significant than the monuments, important as these were and hiding the black man's intellectual achievement in the invention of writing deep under the sand. I rate the reservoirs as a supreme achievement because they reflect the real measure of African man as he met the challenge to survival head-on with, with a constructive counterattack against the adverse forces of earth, sun, and sky. The irrigation system made reasonably effective with their oxen power wheels was part of this challenge to adverse circumstances. Like power. Now um, I'm at the right now I'm at the uh I'm at the bottom of page one thirty one. And if anybody like to pick up from right there. If not I will uh travel through but if anyone would like to read a little piece you can come in and read. No takers? Um well I'll pick up, but I just want to um, uh, share with the family um, who may already know this, but I did not. Um, when he mentioned that uh, how uh, Dr. Chancellor Williams on page 129 the bottom said uh, that earlier you may recall I was unsparing in my criticism of those African societies which seem to be governed by fatalism. Uh, fatalism um, is the doctrine that um, says that all events are predetermined or subject by faith. So we on the post. Yeah, Black Power. Um, 
we on the bottom of 131? Yes. Um, the last paragraph on 131, um, starting with Pianchi. Mm-hmm. Pianchi following Kashta in 720 B.C. began what was quickly to become again one of the greatest world powers of the time. Ethiopia was united with Afro-Asian Egypt under a single imperial rule that extended from the Mediterranean in the north to an undefined boundary in the south. Also also unknown was how far its eastern boundary extended southward along the Indian Ocean coastline, how much of Uganda and Abyssinia was included, or how far westward the empire extended. There's a footnote there. Uh, number three, and, it, and that says this whole period of black achievement is minimized by writers who substitute Moreau, the city of Ethiopia, the empire, excuse me, that substitute Moreau, the city, for Ethiopia, the empire. Ethiopian writing then becomes, in uh, parentheses, some erotic inscriptions. And he's not off, the, off that mark because that UNESCO uh, 1974 uh, it was called, it was um, entitled uh, Marathi. I can't think of the complete title. I'll give that to you in a minute, but I remember that part. Okay, um, all this is not so important as the point that during this period of triumph, world fame, fear, and an unprecedented prosperity from a flourishing trade with about one half of the world, African rulers continue to neglect the updating of their military and naval defenses. Iron was the basis of the technological revolution in warfare. That the Assyrians, Hittites, Persians, and other Asiatic nations were equipping their armies with new types of iron weapons, and that these were devastatingly more effective than stone and copper weapons, had to be well known to the Africans. It was not news. As was mentioned before, they not only knew about the use of iron, but they had long since developed the iron smelting processes. The trouble was the highly sensitive royal monopoly. No secret was more zealously guarded than the smelting of iron. This meant rigidly limited production. Here was fear outmatching both reason and the most elementary common sense. This over-secretiveness, which inhibited the expansion of iron production, was to continue mightily to the success of the Assyrian arms over them. Prosperity, too, may have blurred the African's vision. Too much success can be dangerous. In this case, so much wealth was piled up from foreign trade, especially in gold, ivory, and copper, that the question of iron, if raised, may have been dismissed as economically unsound. Whatever the reasons were, the fact is that the great iron industries, which had developed in this center, spreading over Africa, could have started centuries before. Even as, even as early as 300 B.C., when iron smelting was employed for more useful purposes than ornaments, the royal monopoly still prevented widespread use. That they knew of the importance of iron is shown by the fact that the kings and high priests were often heads of the guild and chief iron masters 
would often gain the status of what a prime minister is today. Regardless of the delay, iron smelting and tool making got underway on a vast scale in Ethiopia at a most crucial period for Africa. Its center was Moreau, and it appears that the biggest iron works were in and around this capital city. This development was at a crucial period because it was the period of increasing migrations from the heartland and the scattering of groups all over Africa. They carried their knowledge of this great technological revolution wherever they went, and they began the use of iron and the development of iron industries wherever they had the opportunity to settle in iron ore areas and remain settled long enough to create a stable society. This spread of ironwork from the cradle of black civilization is just another example of how other fundamental African institutions spread over the continent, north as well as south, and remain basically unchanged down through the centuries, no matter how numerous the groups into which the original society became fragmented, or how countless were the various languages and dialects that resulted from that segmentation. There were, as a matter of course, many variations and modifications by different survival groups. The most remarkable of the facts was that even those groups that were pushed back into a state of barbarism still held on, in parentheses, God only knows how, to some of the basic institutions of the society from which they descended from one to 2,000 years before. Neither Christian Europe or Muslim Asia were able to completely destroy these institutions, even in the vast regions over which both had supreme control. And this is why, in a previous discussion, I had suggested a smile of compassion when you read or hear about Egyptian influences, excuse me, Egyptian influence in parentheses, excuse me, in quotations, on this or that black society because, in general, all that could possibly be meant is the influence of early black civilization on subsequent black societies. Uh, uh-huh. Continue, or, or you want to pause? Anybody got, anybody want to add on? I think he gave some great explanations uh, as to why um, iron smelting, um, a process that we have for thousands upon thousands of years based upon archaeological finds in, in the present day, um, wasn't used to uh, make weaponry as uh, it later uh, became, um, initially as it later became in the hands of foreigners who got this African uh, science, you know, I think he did a great job of that uh, and showing how, um, you know, this is something, this was a science that we had, like I said, for thousands of years and that we kept. kept. And um, one of the things I find interesting that he mentioned, that despite uh, the uh, Asian invasions or the invasions by uh, the foreigners, we were still able to hold on to... uh, knowledge that we had that was passed on for thousands of years and I mean knowledge in all aspects because we got 
uh, the ancestor, what's that, in 653, Brother Vaughn, you read, building a temple to Amon. That's big. Okay? Who was mm-hmm. the ancestor? Um, Aspalta, if I'm pronouncing his name right. You know? I'm sorry, King. No, you correct. As best as I can pronounce it. That, to that late date. You know what I mean? It shows how despite uh, the infiltration, despite uh, what other people want to call influences on our culture, there were certain things that maintained the test of time. And as you, you, you know, and one of the other things already mentioned was that one of the other reasons why it wasn't so widespread is because the the exact signs on how to do that was kept in a smaller group. You know what I'm saying? Which which also led to being being utilized as a, more of a political thing. You know, yeah, it was a, or or being something that took time to acquire that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to what uh, I think it was Brother Minkara mentioned. Two, you know, we are not a warlike people. Mm-hmm. And that shows, you know, that that wasn't the first, even though we had knowledge of it, that's not where we went with that information in relationship to metalworking. And as you mentioned, he pointed out that, you know, you have pharaohs that were head of these guilds, what he's calling guilds, you know, these, uh, I guess we call them uh, uh, secret groupings. Uh, uh, not even secret, but more like, it, it's like, uh, they, they are, uh, it ain't like a, a secret a secret group. It's a group that got, they hold a secret, though. A shay, you know, a university light. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's like, a, you know, if you didn't go to that university to study, you know, if you went to study phlebotomy, and I wouldn't expect for you to come out with the same information that uh, Brother Mikarad came out with studying anthropology. You know what I mean? I wouldn't expect that y'all come out with the same. You know, you y'all expertise wouldn't be the same. I would expect that y'all have some general things that y'all might know alike because y'all both went to university. But when we come down to what do you, what is your expertise, I would doubt that y'all would be, you know, y'all would be far apart from y'all, you know, on, on the things that y'all knew when we start talking about expertise on the uni- and, and what courses you took at the university, um, you know, what class, what you graduated with. You know, as he mentioned, neither Christian Europe or Muslim Asia were able to completely destroy these institutions. Mm-hmm. That's so that it's part of our nature that even without the, even you know, even without them, um, without without us having the the building or whatever have you. It, it, this is um, ingrained in us. 
the most important fact to keep in mind, however, is that we are considering the early age when relatively few people could write a small professional class described. The most important fact to keep in mind, however, is that we are considering the early age when relatively few people could write. A small professional class describes all books, scrolls, inscriptions, letters, etc. were written by them. Therefore, in any society where the scribes were either captured or for whatever reason disappeared, the art of writing in that society died in view of the developments in black Africa. The disappearance of writing is not a mystery at all. Conquest and domination tended to check migration and bring a larger measure of iron rule stability to the invaded region. An integral part of that iron rule was the introduction of the conqueror's speech and writing. The first step in the process of conquering the soul and minds of the blacks along with their bodies, this was easy because the knowledge-starved key people among the blacks eagerly grasped Arabic, French, Portuguese, English, or German as the best route to status. Hold up. This was easy. This was easy because the knowledge-starved key people among the blacks, <clears throat> key people in parentheses, among the blacks eagerly grasped Arabic, French, Portuguese, English, or German as the best route to status in a new civilization. Most of this developed later than the period we have been summarizing. Thousands, the thousand years in Ethiopia after its last success in retaking Egypt and its defeat and withdrawal with the fall of the 25th dynasty. Here we speak of the period from 6th century B.C. to the 4th century of the Christian church in Ethiopia. Then we got the last section, Christian and uh, Christian Africa. And if anybody want to make a question or comment before I just hit this these last uh, few paragraphs with Christian Africa. No? All right. Uh, Christian Africa. Africa was naturally among the first areas to which Christianity spread. It was next door to Palestine from the earliest times. There have been a close, the closest relationship between Jews and the blacks, both friendly and hostile. The exchange of pre-Christian religious concepts took place easily and due to the residence of so many ancient Jewish leaders in Ethiopia. Abraham, Joseph, and his brothers, Mary and Jesus, the great lawgiver Moses, was not only born in Africa, but he was also married to the daughter of an African priest. The pathway for the early church in the land of the blacks have been made smooth many centuries before. In a different work, I suggested that a major reason why so many later Christian missions failed in Africa was because they were bringing refurbished religious doctrine that came from Africa in the first place. The religious belief the sacrifice for the remission of the sins was the African belief and practice at least 2,000 years before Abraham. The results of a comparative study of the African Jewish and Christian religions have amazed many who have undertaken the task. Practically all the Ten Commandments were embedded in the African Constitution ages before Moses went up to Mount Sinai in 1491 B.C., a rather late date in African history. We do not know how much significance should be read into the fact that Christianity began to spread in Ethiopia, Nubu, 
Nubia or Kush, only after the destruction of the central empire with the fall of Morocco. However, the most important development after the empire passed was not the rise of Christianity, but the rise of the two black states that picked up the mantle and staff of Ethiopia to carry on. These states were Mokaria and Awa. Black power. And that's the end of our uh, session on Chapter 4. We have a lot a lot of good information here, some good dates. Um, from, what I, from what I recollect, I want to say this about Nico II. I look, um, and they give him the credit for conquering uh, Megiddo and where the term Armageddon comes from. But I had uh, information that was contrary to that, that it was to who he made. And I'll have to uh, make sure that I get get all of this uh, together properly for you, but that he had conquered Megiddo, and that's where the uh, term uh, uh, Armageddon comes from, from the conquering of Megiddo. And uh, they might... You might have to look up under look for his name under Tahuti Menes, maybe the second, maybe the second. But uh, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to uh, throw that in right there. That I did remember his name. That, that was heavy, though. That was heavy because before you even got into Christian Africa, and I was saying, I was talking and didn't know I had the phone on mute. <laughs> I know. I was running my mouth, and I said, oh, the brother, I, I looked at the phone, and I said, oh, man, I'm on mute. Crazy as I don't know what, but that's all right. I, but I was what I was saying was um, that was heavy because right before you had gotten to Christian Africa, you were talking about um, – uh, that they they were you know starved knowledge starved in a sense and um and they were they eagerly grasped Arabic French Portuguese English German you know because it was the best route to this so called new civilization and that and that's funny because that's kind of like the same as Sheikh Antadia said in his uh what well, he made mention to something to that effect in that in his civilization of barbarism um. When we were dealing with how to define cultural identity, he said um, the ling- the linguistic bond was broken, you know, but he said the historic bond remains stronger than ever, and and that he he made mention that that bond was perpetuated by memory, you know. So I mean that you know the bond being there, yes, is is just stronger than ever, and as we have seen in the last couple of chapters, you know. That bond was strong because regardless of everything that we went through, we kept coming back and back. And then he, he uh, Chancellor uh, Williams even said um, right before that he made made note of um, of how he suggested to keep a smile of compassion when you read and hear about the Egyptian influence on this or that black society because in general all that capacity all that capacity he meant is, is is the influence of early black civilization on subsequent black society. So, I mean, the bond that Sheikh Antadia was talking about was strong, you know? 
even though the linguistic um, um, bond had been broken. But the memory, that DNA, you know, encoded to never forget, that's key. You know, so that was some heavy, heavy information in Chapter 4, you know, like power. And, that, and, you know, and you're saying that, you know, um, that's the connection that it makes with us right now today. Uh-huh. Even though we we don't have, you know, we, we're striving to grasp some of the, some African languages, but we don't have grasp of that original language like that. That's right. That's people was doing, but we still, historically, we still tied in. Sure enough. Perpetuated by the memory. And it just has the, the cultural heritage of Africa. Um, and Diaz said here, uh, which is evident in the three Americas, attest to the continuity of cultural customs. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's heavy. That, that's real heavy because we can cross-reference a lot of information and it just puts us right where we need to be. But we never forget, you know, and, and there's some kind of way we are, the ancestors work in making sure that we come together. You know what I'm saying? In a time of despair, despairing. There's so much, so many conquerors, conquerors, so many invaders, so many hardships, but yet and still, we still find a way to thrive, you know? And I mean, oh, Africa, that, that uh, documentary by Dr. John Henry Clark, um, A Great and Mighty Wolf, now, you know, that's a, that's a heavy one, you know? I mean, I I felt some kind of way when he said Africa had came on her last. She had she had her last reign. He talked about them twenty five dynasties. Oh yes, you know, we had continued to fight over and over and over again. You know, in the face of of all, I mean, it seemed as if it was over. Here we come right back, women as well as men. Coming back, we coming back to fight, but that's the memory told us to do that. So that's why I understood what Sister Camille was saying that we got to get back to that today. You know why our people show up against one another today, and we already understand exactly it is conditioning that that the bond that is broken. You know, you got to find a way to resurrect that, get it back, because the bonds are definitely broken off people will side with a white person before they side with their own sister or brother. I saw it happen. And they could care less about, but, well, they, could, they ain't got to care less. They don't know because they are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, you know? But they don't know who they're dealing with here. They will sit there and side with the beast over their own sister. I mean, you just, you hate your sister or your brother just that much. Until when faced with some type of adversity, you will side with that beast before your own blood. And our ancestors did not do that. They frowned down upon that. They shunned it. They said it was a disgrace and a slap in the face to the ancestors to do such, you know. But miscegenation, all of those things, those things were looked down upon. You know, but today we look at it as if it's something gracious. Oh, I have a... Daddy about my boy, you know, his daddy by his wife's hair like this. No, his, his hair is recessive is what it is. The recessive trait he's carrying, you know, but our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we just, that's why we're out here trying to open them up 
so they can hear a little better. And I know people get offended when you go to talking because we all got this one and that one in our family, but the truth is the truth is in history, you know? You, you, you Don't come to me talking about you religious and you believe in God. You got to study history, you know? And you might put religion down once you study history. But it was almost, as Chancellor Williams said, as, it was almost like a religion, uh, in a sense, their love for their blackness is what he stated. You know, they had a love for it. Nothing could come come across that. They didn't believe they were true Africans. And they had a total disregard for anything that was mixed. So they loved their, they understood this, their skin. They understood that it would stir the rays of the, the sun. They understood these things. Our people don't understand. I saw a lady today telling, just saying, just not a day. She said, oh, it was pleasant today, but not a sun coming out. It's getting back bad now. I got to get out the sun. And I'm like, I want to be in the sun. I love the sun. Oh, no, not me. She's darker than I am. She hates the sun. She needs the sun. Well, anyway, black power. Black power. Black power. Greatest assessment since the couple. What'd you say, brother? That was the greatest assessment right there. Mm-hmm. Black uh, power. Yes, I appreciate it. I was just running it, you know, just running it right quick. Well, uh-huh. yeah. well definitely, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go uh, more to that chapter, though, I wanted to Sister Camille, if she could, but uh, Captain Nat, if you out there, out there. Chapter 9, I see him out there. I see him out there. Oh, we got to get the suit and, got to get the suit and back to the line. Suit and come on back in. I know you hear us. <laughs> I, you know, I want his take. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we need we need to uh, I, Need you to listen to the sister question. Give us a little inside, little input, real fast. As I, you know, he listen. He is actually uh, following uh, under the lines of Doctor Clark, Doctor Ben in particular, and the rest with um, getting that degree in uh, archaeology. And um, he's definitely African centered, so I, I want his take on that. Because he, you know, um, unfortunately the brother was working out in the field and he wasn't available when we was doing chapter, um, doing that chapter. Yeah, and my brother's still, my brother's still in the field. He's still in the field. That's why he said he was kind of wore around. He out there in a hundred degree weather out in the field. So you know, he's still on. He probably then, you know, like I said, you know, the brother probably wore down right now. Is that guy? What, what time is that guy out there? Yeah, you know, he's been out there in 100 degree. Hopefully we can get him back. But, you know, he probably does cost out. If not, we'll definitely, you know, I'm I'm definitely, that's something that has uh, stuck with me, um, that paragraph. So I will definitely uh, not forget whenever we get uh, my brilliant brother back to uh, online to run that bomb or if it's in the hangout 
because I, I definitely need his uh, opinion of that. But um, one of the things I also took out of this Chapter 4, which I, I thought was wonderful, was how um, Dr. Williams, uh, Chancellor Williams, was emphatic that writing started in black Africa. No mention of uh, Samaria. And, mm-hmm. you know, emphatic that all of the temples you find in Lower and Upper Egypt, Nubia, uh, which uh, Ethiopia now, um, were all constructed by black Africans. <laughs> not the Afro-Asian uh, mulatto output, not the Euro-Asian, and not even the uh, black traders that was rolling with them. It was that African first, second, and third that came up from the sec- that came that came from the south downward, you know, down north, and uh, re um, ushered in reconstruction after these uh, uh, foreigners destroyed shit. You know what I mean? And um, it has me wondering too. Now, uh, the people that are called Sumerians were they the uh, byproduct? Of um, interbreeding. Mhm. Mhm. Oh, where they got their curly hair from? Yes, they do. Mhm. Them big old curls. That's where them big old curls come from. You know how them? You know how them Puerto Ricans have that big old curl. Yeah. Big long curls. She's long and curls. No, it had to be. You know, it was mixed breeds out there. Where they get that Afro Asiatic? Where they where they originate out there? I say, and he he doesn't mention any kind of contribution that they made to um, civilization. No, and you know, particularly to um, our ancient uh, uh, glory days. Uh, what he did say, though, is that you can see the African, you can see remnants of the African writing style inside their thing, as though we brought them to where they were at. We was bringing the writing to people. Why nobody bringing no writing now? They didn't have time to learn how to write. Yeah, you mean you brought writing to us. You ain't have time for that. You had numbers for what? You ain't even had no grain storage. What are you got numbers for what? What was you counting? Tell me what y'all was counting first. Before before you get to tell me you was counting anything. What was you counting? What did you need to count so bad that you needed numbers? Okay. And I'm going to go on the line. We've been writing for hundreds of thousands of years. All right? You can call me uh, glorifying our past. So fucking be it. Okay? But we were, we've been writing, writing before these motherfuckers came out the cold. Before these motherfuckers was even known on the planet by us. Been writing. Oh, I have to agree with that. Oh, 
that's that's what the the um the Hebrew Israelite from I think he's from um AOC, if I'm not mistaken. Last name Gabar and I think he and Shaka Atmo had a um debate, but I know that the two of them had a sit down that lasted for about two hours or so. And I know for a fact he said that the oldest writing came out of Samaria and he was he got shut down right on I mean just it was just blatant. And there was nothing he could say. He got so upset with Shaka Atmo in that little sit down chat because of the information. The information specifically showed him that your writing could never be the first, you know, and so, and and he couldn't deny it, you know, after he saw it. He was in there, yeah, the oldest writing to Mary. Yeah, he said, so the first alphabet, you're saying, okay, so you're saying, all oh, this is first, so let me go and show. Now, when I tell him he's wrong, he's going to say he didn't say it, but I'm glad it's on tape. I mean, that's a good video because he broke down all of the writing systems, where they came from, when they started, what's the oldest, how it spread to 500 different places, how it came out of Kemet, you know, and there was nothing nobody could say. They left him alone after that. Nobody could really say anything after he put that information out there. So uh, as far as writing coming out of Samaria, that is a hoax. Not true. Not an inkling of truth. Now, of course, we know in all this writing, they say, oh, Mesopotamia, this and that, and that the oldest writing system comes out of there, but that's a whether or not, you know, because that's uncertain. When you look at certain, when you go and you uh, research a lot of different stuff, you're going to find out that the writing system, the Sumerian writing system, it's uncertain because they know they don't want to give credit to what credit is due. So the first thing they'll say is whether the Sumerians were the first to develop writing is uncertain. They know that's not true. They understand where the alphabet came from. The metaneta is where it came from. They understand that. They understand the oldest writing system did not come out of Sumeria. But, you know, when they want to put Suma uh, first as the oldest civilization, then you're going to have that. You're going to have that because they got to back up their positioning, you know. But they, you know, this is, they. I think they pretty much laid all of that to rest here recently, you know, with the little different little debates that they've had because I think the little guy, the, the Hebrew Zion Lex was saying some of the same thing, and he just, he was just obliterated on television, I, I mean on the little video because his information wasn't there. He could not prove that Suma was the oldest civilization, and he could not prove that their their writing system was the oldest. So, you know. <laughs> well, you know, Queen, um, two things. As we found out in this chapter, that the oldest writing comes out of Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Before uh, you see that expression in Egypt under black mm-hmm. rule, under African rule. Now, understand mm-hmm. that we came from the South, you know. Right, uh, right. As the general brings out in quite a few of his lectures, and also the master teachers, that we came into that lower land, that northern land, with mm-hmm. civilization already mm-hmm. established from our home in the South. Mm-hmm. You know, and we took those keys there, and uh, it flourished. But that's what mm-hmm. happens when you are... Uh, uh, mentally enslaved African regurgitating 
uh, white racist ideology. That's right. that's, that's what that's happened right. to you. That's and right. two, I want to blame. I'm, I'm also putting blame on uh, my family members that are African centered that play folly to that shit. You know, mm-hmm. that have allowed this bullshit of the religions of perversion to uh, 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 flourish, you know, to, to get a voice. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because we're saying, well, you're African, you're just lost. No, you're a motherfucking traitor. <laughs> just like the traitors we read about so far from chapter one to four. Mm-hmm. That small pocket of Africans who disrespected their ancestors, who disrespected uh, the netters, and, and um, uh, had um, amalgamated with these motherfuckers, mm-hmm. who even turned on their own people. Yes, they did. Okay? And mm-hmm. a lot of this bullshit is we can also blame on, as he exposed, how when they did conquer... Uh, lower Egypt at periods of time, they came in along with the mulattoes who was mm-hmm. helping and actually erased names of, of African rulers, uh, mm-hmm. destroyed statues that mm-hmm. showed uh, African features mm-hmm. that they couldn't yeah. pass off as their own, destroyed right. temples that they couldn't change and make it seem like they created it. So now today That's we right. got this bullshit of Mesopotamia, this bullshit of, of Samaria. And if I, I wish Brother Minkara, but Brother Bourne, you might know this as well. Uh, I believe I heard Brother Minkara mention that Samaria come out the Bible, just like Mesopotamia. I mean, if they believe it in Abraham, then yes. I mean, that's where they got, that's where they pulled Abraham from, the Bible. And then the, I tell you, the killer <laughs> shit is that you have these self-hating blacks actually calling themselves studying our history to, 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 to have an argument of why you shouldn't follow that, why we should stick with a foreign self-hating uh uh, religious perversion ideology, digging into our past to uh, uh, digging into their own history to try to, to find loopholes. Yeah. Hell, hell yeah, that's some sick shit. That's what they doing. It, it, it's horrible. That's some sick it's shit. Horrible. When you've been here for thousands, when, when, if you're studying that ancient past, then you know that those Africans was here for thousands of years before there was a such thing called a uh, uh, fucking religion of perversion. <laughs> What's wrong in your self-hating mind that you don't see that? Well, I mean, I, it's hard for me not to, you know, I, I you know, I try to be cool and cordial with the the brothers, but they are really brainwashed. I mean, really, you know. I mean, as far as, I mean, they go as far as to saying that if you don't have a belief in Jesus Christ, some of them, you know, they all believe different stuff, you know. You got um, Nazi Yashavel, he don't believe in the New Testament, but still he believes in Moses and all the rest of them, you know, Abraham and all that. You know, so that's no different, you know. I mean, you're all believing in the Bible. You know, and I understand, I understand. Y'all feel to believe that the truth is there. 
But I tend to I I tend to um to agree with uh Shaka Amos in regard to his book, the um the Codex Game Over, the one that he wrote about the plagiarizing of the ancient text. You understand? I tend to agree with him on those things. That's why I've been studying that mental method so hard. Because I, I like him and, and others, I want to go over there and read it for myself. You know what I'm saying? Translate it for myself. You know? Because if they these Hebrews are in no position to tell our people that they don't know what they're talking about if they can't even read what the ancestors wrote. You see? So if somebody puts a, a puts the information out there in a position for us to go back and look, let's look. Don't believe me. Go research this information that I'm giving you right now. Go do your research, your homework. And if you're telling me that, and I'll, I'll just give you one uh, good example right here. He said, he said in his book, because I purchased the book, you know, to support and everything. He said right here. He said, um, he said that. The ancient Egyptian, and we're using the term Egyptian loosely, just based the, you know, because our people understand that, but we try to let them know that, he, you know, when it became Egypt, you know, it was already invaded. But anyway, the ancient Egyptian original, it was the utterance, 412, 732B, in the pyramid text. And this is in ancient Egypt, 2400 BCE. And that particular utterance said, Thou will be born again. So over 2,000 years later, the Greco-Roman Christian Judeo copies reworked from the ancient Egyptian original. And what they put in 1 Peter 1 and 23, this is 2nd century CE or AD, for you have been born again. So you mean to tell me 2,000 years before, the utterance specifically said, thou will be born again. And then 2,000 years later, the Greek, the Greco-Roman, Christian, Judeo-copy, First Peter, for you have been born again. Then in John 3, 3, they said, except a man be born again. And then in John 7, this first century, Ye must be born again. So, I mean, where would you get this information from? You know, so for, for the Hebrews, I like to say, oh, he's making that up. Well, how is he making it up if it's much older than what you got in your book? That's the part that I don't get with them. You know, that's the part that I don't get with them. How can you refute the information if you ain't going to even go research the information for yourself? Is it older than what you got in the 1500s? Yes. So does that give you cause to believe? Okay, I understand. No, it doesn't give you cause to believe. Well, would it give you cause to research? Oh, I ain't researching it. Okay, so that means you're bound to your book. You see, so that's the part I don't get about these 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 guys. You understand? They're stuck in the in the particular books, and they're not getting out of it. So that's why you can't talk to them. That's why they sound silly out there, like really silly. You know, it's like I can't really even listen to them talk. Because I, I hear it. I hear the Christianity. I call them Christians because that's exactly what they are. As long as you got a King James Bible in your hand, you are a Christian. Now, you can say what you want to say, but you're a Christian. And then your ways and your deeds are going to show me that you're a Christian because you're going to do the things that the old Christians did, murder, kill, slaughter, you know, perversion, 
So that, yeah, absolutely, Queens. I I I, uh, I agree with that. It's ridiculous. How you gonna reject your own history for a made up history? You know, they made this history. They changed your whole history around. But our people don't read. Our people don't research. They don't study nothing. I don't know many Christians that read outside of the Bible, period. So how they don't know anything when they believe in everything that's in that book? Black power. Black power. (laughs) It made me think of what the great master teacher, African warrior scholar, Dr. John Henry Clark, has said, that Mm -hmm. he had never met a Christian or a Muslim that was a (laughs) scholar of their faith. Right. Okay. I, I it took the time to study the origin because, see, when you mentioned how Shaka had exposed that line in the second um, second CE, well, Dr. Walter Williams in his Origin of Christianity shows that mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of the reasons why that w- would have been taken from uh, uh, our own uh, documents 2,000 years preceding it's mm-hmm. because it was African traders, the Melkite Coptics, that was writing this, making this formation of this made-up religion for the creative mm-hmm. races to raise. That's right. That's right. The traders, the same traders Chancellor Williams talking about, Queen. You know? Absolutely. That's, and that's the, that's the point that gets me, Queen. That's the point that I don't understand. How can you treat, how can you be a traitor to your own history when you haven't even went for yourself to even verify it? You haven't even went to verify that you have a history. First of all, you know, you want to grab onto bits and pieces of, of, of what you believe is true. And then you want to throw up this falsified information about Samaria. You understand? That, that's the part that I don't understand. That They really get me with that. That one, the, the one called Zion Lex, uh, he had asked a friend me on Facebook, right? That's fine. So then he seen I was spitting out all this stuff, and then, of course, he deleted me and blocked me, and then all of a sudden, Nazi was saying something about, you know, um, you got to question them, them on all of this because they don't know what they understand. And I'm saying that he's the one sitting up there telling me that has shut me with a dyke. And I'm like, brother, have you ever read Chancellor Williams' book? Now, this was months ago when they had that debate. And he said, no, Sister Queen, no. I said, well, Nazi, if you never really read that, there's no reason for, you know what I'm saying? You can't really make that assessment. You're just going off belief, but just somebody telling you, you know? So they don't go outside of the, they don't go outside of what their belief is. So that lets you know right then and there. They're not going to read books. They're not going to dig into history. You have to become a historian in a sense. Oh, totally, because it's going to be history that's going to tell you what's happening. You know, history is going to tell you what's happening, what has happened. And I think somewhere in the book we read that the history repeats itself or repeats it. We, 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 you know, we're trying to not have these things repeat. I said we're already in a bad situation right now. Our people are so conditioned beyond understanding. They are beyond understanding at this point, you know. Nobody understands anything if you're not talking about the God of the Bible, you know. So, I, you know, that's that's the reason why I can't really get through to them. But I, was, I think our purpose is to continue to put this information out here. Maybe you're going to wake up. Maybe you, one, you're going to wake up out of that trance that you're in. 
You know, I attribute this to all kinds of, I attribute it to uh, Christianity. I attribute it to the beast and his evil ways and his deeds, his medication. You know what I'm saying? Doping our kids up, labeling them, saying they this and they that. You know, making the parents put them on meds so they can be conditioned from the, from, you know, early childhood. Bad enough, you already done attacked us in the womb. What chapter that was we was in, Queen, when um, Chancellor Williams was telling us how it was malnutrition from the womb. I think it was in, what, chapter after two one. or something? After one. We was in there. We talking about y'all been trying to kill us for our kids while they're in the womb. So we don't really care nothing about y'all. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't. We shouldn't trade on our people because y'all don't give a damn about ours. Y'all were trying to kill our seeds off. Y'all were trying to exterminate us long time ago. So that's why I understand why our people could grab hold to something that they gave them. After this, the transatlantic slave trade, you throw this book in there. I mean, you haven't pushed it all up in, in the land, motherland, then you bring them over here and then you tell them that a slave, you're going to obey your early master. I mean, the deception in that book is just so obvious to the awakened mind. But if you're sleeping, of course, you can't really see anything because you're sleeping. Black power, Queen. Uh, black power to you, Queen. Black power to the family. You know, uh, again, he shows that despite the tradition, and tradition does not mean historical, the tradition that you had the Sanhedrin, some say took place 800 B.C., some say 600 B.C. But well, we got historical fact that in 653 B.C., we have an ancestor, Aspalta, building a temple to Amman. Mm-hmm. Okay. So despite that all, thousands and thousands and thousands of years down the line, we're still holding on to our spirituality, we're still holding on to our connection to our ancestors, and I just find that to be um, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And saying that, i got to be honest, I really think um, it's been past time for us to really hold the line on those that are saying they are African-centered, that are allowing these black traders in, that are calling these black traders brothers, that are giving mm-hmm. them the microphone, you know, mm-hmm. And not really, uh, only in my opinion, only the general has approached them as the enemies that they are, has thoroughly annihilated them. And <laughs> no, real, and and that is something that needs to happen. We we should have a problem with, with those of us that are saying they're African centered, that are allowing uh, uh, black traders to push these religions of perversion. Uh It has to stop. And the second thing that has to stop, if you're African-centered, I don't want to hear about uh, there being good white people. Uh I don't want to hear anything about uh, we've been mixing for a while. I don't want to hear none of that shit. Because to me, that's enemy talk. And Black power. Black power. Um, and you got to add in my favorite. We all got some white blood in us. (laughs) 
We you all know. do. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you say, huh? But well, not me. I'm sorry. Not me. Not me already. I'm I'll be like, I don't know what, what y'all think this white man is. You think he is super. He got to be super cracker to rape every every black woman. He rapes everyone. This motherfucker, he can't even make babies with his own goddamn woman. And you telling me <laughs> every one of our goddamn women with no problem. He just super. <laughs> he fucks them all. I get them all. Nah, that's some bullshit. But okay. I want we want to go ahead and close this close this out so we can make sure that you know we we stay concise on the on the book. But that's the uh, uh, brother the, born. Before you do that, just a FYI, brother Little is on mute. You know he got to come in with that line. Yeah, uh, I see him in there. I see him. I, I looked up. I took my glasses off. I looked up. I thought he was still in the chat room. I couldn't see the difference. But as I was saying, though, we definitely had a, a wonderful show. Actually, reading with the family, you know, it feels good to read with the family. Going over, you know, we're um, going over a mighty powerful work, construction of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams. You know, and uh, we just went over Chapter Four, and we'll be back. We'll be Black Night Thursday, and depending upon whether or not this Sunday we have our uh, study group with the uh, Chancellor Williams, the Destruction of Black Civilization. Or we might have to, you know, I think we should teach Destruction of Black Civilization on uh, 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 yeah, we have to figure out how we want to do this. But, um, you know, we might have a study group on Sunday, and we'll, we will be going over Chapter 5 on Sunday, and then we'll be doing Chapter 6 next Thursday. But we definitely know, uh, come on back in, Porterhouse Saturdays, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. When to get confirmation on our guests, and you'll know, uh, check it to the uh, Feet on the Ground group. Uh, uh, make sure the link is out there. Um, but uh, also Sunday, this coming Sunday, we will have a special for everybody tuning in. We have a special. We will have uh, the attorney at War Bible Automatic. He'll be on, and we'll be discussing. We'll be discussing justice or else, um, and the role of the bastard in uh, in our revolution. So we're going to be talking about the role of, uh, of the bastards and justice for else. We're talking about that fairy, that fairy con million mark march at Washington D.C. So, but with that being said, though, that'll be uh, that'll be at a special time. That'll be 6 p.m. Eastern, three on the uh, west side, the best side. That means three uh, Pacific time. And y'all, you know how you do line up in between. So yeah, uh, make sure you tune in for that. Um, he will be taking uh, questions, um, so it's going to be a very good show. So all the questions that you want to ask, 
Any questions on uh, legalese, military history, ethics, politics? Come on in and, and um, you know, find out if he's willing to debate if you think that uh, something that he's saying is off basis. Be ready to get it in. So uh, make sure y'all come in for the listening pleasure. But as I, again, as we said, we'll be on Slaughterhouse Saturday. That'd be 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 Pacific. Uh, Sunday special with Bible Automatic, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And with that being said, we'd like to go out the same way that we come in. And that's with a praise Nat Turner, glory to Garvey. Lonely Spirit of Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad. Praise Harriet Tubman. Glory to Ida B. Wells. And Lonely the Spirit of Sister Fanny Luhamer. We before you. Cracker in the trunk. I'll make it too. You don't need to be employed to get employee level vision coverage. If you're retiring soon and looking for a way to continue caring for your eyes, get a VSP individual vision plan at VSPDirect.com. <laughs> 